0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. You're also like to debate the merits of all that they've seen: comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse. let the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, Turns by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, uh, I, I would, I would ask. Uh, how you're doing but I, I know that it's been again not the best of weeks so I will instead say how much and there is some and all of it how much did David S. Pumpkins lift your spirits this week
1: Well, actually, like, when I watched David S. Pumpkins, um, I was actually in really good. It's actually only been, like, the last, like, 24 hours that have been, like, really, like, kind of rough. But, yeah, David S. Pumpkins was really great, wasn't it? Yeah. Did you have any questions about David S. Pumpkins?
0: (laughs) I have, no, I have, like, I have theories. I have answers. I have no questions about David S. Pumpkins because in the very brief sketch from SNL with Tom Hanks that, you know, those who don't know what we're talking about, go to YouTube. It is worth it. You will be happy. It's a four minute sketch called haunted elevator. Um, From that four minutes, I could extrapolate out what 73 floors of David S. Pumpkins would be. And it starts ridiculous and quickly becomes terrifying.
1: Yeah, I think that's accurate, but also like, I'm pretty sure David S. Pumpkins is what happens when the Westworld robots gain sentience mm-hmm. and destroy humanity. Yeah.
0: It's very possible. I think that's,
1: I think that's the end game.
0: Yeah. Though I the I will say like
1: David S. Pumpkins,
0: David S. Pumpkins has, has gone like really caught fire and I look forward to hopefully seeing some group costumes. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I feel like it has to be a group costume of that this Halloween that's coming up this, uh, this next week. Um, but I do feel like it is slightly overshadowed black jeopardy, which was also terrific.
1: It was very good um, <clears throat> um, in a way that like dusted off a sketch that they've done like three times prior to this and then did a really nice way of looking at how feelings of disenfranchisement are tied both within race, but then where those d- feelings of disenfranchisement really tend to fracture. And it's A, very funny, and B, um, Tom Hanks is just, again, really good in both sketches in very different ways that remind us that Tom Hanks needs to do a comedy again really soon, and
0: And not like a a treacly romance family comedy. Just like being funny.
1: Yeah,
0: it's been too long. It's been too long, though. I will say that wasn't my only source of uh, amusement and entertainment this week. I also, because apparently I mean, was very entertained by hearing what went down in The Walking Dead premiere because I didn't care enough to watch. I was very busy. I caught up on a bunch of TV. I caught up on all the network stuff. So next week I'll be caught up on cable and we can talk talk FX uh, just in time for all those finales. But um, I did catch up on all the network stuff and I didn't care about The Walking Dead. So I was like, wait, am I going to? No, I don't care. So I won't watch it. And so seeing finding out what happened, the resolution of that cliffhanger and people being really angry with the show it just made me so happy that I I don't care anymore.
1: Ah. Well, I um as I tweeted I actually attempted to watch it. Um and then my DVR only recorded through um halfway through the first commercial break. It stopped after <laughs> like the cold open and the opening credits and then just cut off. And I just went, "Oh. Well, Um, You've clearly made my decision for me Because I'm not going to sit through the commercials From the on-demand version of this (laughs) So uh, we're good We're done here Um, But like you um, I followed a couple things But mostly like Corey was um, Texting me while he was watching it And he was just like God this show is just trolling everyone really hard right now And I just went Well that's not surprising given the response To that finale (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. they're just being bitter and petty <sighs> and yet the repeat of last year's finale got higher ratings than a lot of the rest of TV on Sunday so that wasn't even the premiere so we're stuck with The Walking Dead for a long time
1: that's that's just how The Walking Dead goes is that it out outranks pretty much everything in its time slot and that's, that's how it's been and that's how it's going to be
0: yeah I, I did not care about The Walking Dead coming back I cared uh, instead about to other departures more than like this week was all about the rectified premiere for me and then uh two departures this week one was great british bake-off over in the uk had its last episode and i say that because yes is coming back but it's coming back without mel and sue and mary and so it's not coming back in my head um it was very emotional got got misty there were some tears Happening in the finale, as only seems fitting. Um, I look forward to your thoughts when Great British Baking Show airs over here. But the other big departure uh, in my geek world is Brian Fuller is leaving Star Trek Discovery. He's no longer going to show run that, and uh, that is not a good sign, as far as I'm concerned for 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 Star Trek. I'm, I'm sure it is for his sanity, but I am significantly less. Uh, heartened about the show now that it doesn't have Fuller and they still don't have any any characters cast or any like really strong sense of what the show is gonna be at least as they've announced
1: right um I'm not as worried about it in part because as like the variety story that broke it emphasized that a lot of the folks that are like still with the show or like super close to Fuller and Fuller is um, not engaged in like the day to day of will not be engaged in the day to day of Star Trek Discovery. Um, to which my big thing was like I was surprised it didn't happen a lot sooner. Um, in part again because of how many plates that man is spinning right now. Um, but um, I think that they've cast a lot of folks, but. They haven't announced any of it, really, but they don't have their lead yet, which is, for me, the more troubling thing than Fuller leaving, is that they don't have their lead yet, and they go into production really soon, and they don't have a lead actress yet.
0: Yeah, well, it just feels very driven by this is our deadline for when we want this to come out, which I understand is how most TV works, don't get me wrong. However, that is not a very effective way to make a movie. That's one of the biggest red flags I can see about a movie is like, well, we know it's premiering on this date in X number of years or months. So make it work. Uh, It's not what you want to hear about a movie. Um, And given the, the scale of this and the budget of this and how much CBS has riding on it, the fact that they are more committed to a start date than they are who's in charge of it. Uh, and they don't even have a lead cast yet is just I'm I'm I mean I'm still gonna <laughs> it's not like I'm not gonna watch the new Star Trek show. But uh yeah, I'm just this is hopefully hopefully any fears I have are unfounded and this is best for everyone and all will be right in the Star Trek world. But right now I could use a little reassuring, Noel.
1: Well, I think your reassuring could should come also from the fact that CBS was already willing to push this back once. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're willing to do it, but, I mean, corporate-wise, I mean, they're betting, like you said, a lot on this to help launch All Access, because goodness knows the Good Wife spinoff, even if they're landing Bernadette Peters, isn't going to drive the subscriber dollars Mm -hmm. that they need in the same way that Star Trek is going to do that. Um, which the Good Wife spinoff took Star Trek's January premiere slot, um, in part because it's not nine million dollars an episode with massive amounts of special effects. Um, Details, <laughs> right? No, like the, the biggest special effects that the Good Wife spinoff is going to have, and I can't believe that show still doesn't have a name, is the amount of statement jewelry that Christine Baranski is going to need. Clearly, um, <laughs> clearly, I mean that's that's the, that's the biggest expenditure for that show. Um, so I'm I'm not like in a panic mode about Star Trek Discovery, but. I also don't have, like, as deep a connection to Star Trek as I think you do and as a number of other people do. Um, I'm very much like, Next Generation is very much my bag, but I've never been as invested in other aspects of Star Trek as I am in Next Generation as just, like, a show. So the wider universe of it has never really grabbed me in the same way it's grabbed a number of other folks, um, Star Wars for life. Um, (laughs) And so my hesitancy is more about the fact that I'm trying to figure out why Fuller wanted to do Amazing Stories more than he wanted to do Star Trek. But I'm also unclear on, like, the timeline of when he agreed to do Amazing Stories versus when he agreed to do Star Trek Discovery.
0: Yeah. Well, I imagine we'll be getting more inf- information about this stuff as we go along. You know, like, more stuff will start coming together and we'll hear about it more. But um, And I s- certainly still am 100% with Fuller. He's earned like any any benefit of the doubt that I might have been withholding is gone after he just like made me look like an idiot for ever doubting him with Hannibal um so personally he made me personally look like an idiot I'm sure that was his most important goal in his entire life um but um but yeah so I whatever comes together with those I'm sure will be very interesting and and very well done but uh yeah it's just it's it was a it was a Big surprise, considering how passionate he is about Star Trek. Brian Fuller is about Star Trek, but um, uh, hopefully all is for the best, and it will, you know, we'll we'll get a a really strong premiere of the Good Wife spinoff in January, and at the right time, we will get our Star Trek Discovery, and it will have been worth the wait. Um, There are always questions when it comes to, uh, you know, the 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 behind the scenes and the production of these things can be a can be a mystery. But uh, you know, hopefully it will come together. Uh speaking of behind the scenes mysteries, uh our, our this week at the DVD, DVD shelf we're talking about the mysteriously and uh cancelled and mistreated by Cartoon Network Young Justice. We didn't really get into that on the D V D shelf. No. Uh but that was it was a really fun show to dive in with with uh Smith and Nelson from the A V Club and the Critical Hits podcast. Um yeah, we didn't we, we did we even mention that at all? The DVD show, um I think I, I think I alluded to
1: it um, and sort of explained it and um, how it affected their heavy serialization in season two. Um, but yeah, I don't think we dug too deep into it. No. Yeah,
0: I don't know why that happens. Like, especially with an animated show, like the production of that is so time Like, anyways, it's it, that is a bit of a mystery, but it was a lot of fun to, to broaden my superhero background a bit, uh, seeing as I am... <laughs> Uh, so woefully underinformed in the comics world. At least I have some animated TV now helping fill in those gaps. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That's coming at the end of the podcast. But for now, uh, we should get into our weekend in TV. <gasps> Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is back, which means that we get to have uh, some Crazy Ex-Girlfriend music this week, leading into our weekend in comedy. So we're going to listen to a little Love Kernels from the season premiere, uh, or ser- yeah, season premiere of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and we'll be right back after this with our weekend comedy.
2: Those jeans are cute. Want some on my smoothie?
1: Wait, you should put this pillow under your knees first.
2: He gives me love kernels Each little crumb another tasty clue Love kernels Cause if you read between the lines he's saying I love you Love kernels Save those kernels up to make a bowl of popcorn Is the proper servant anyway I know when you say I want to go to Colorado sometime It means you're thinking About the future with me I know what a 3am text means I was in your dreams Before you woke up to pee It's a
0: 3am subtext That was Love Kernels uh, From, uh, again, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend uh, One of the delightful songs Featured in the season premiere This week in comedy We're going to kick things off with Craziest Girlfriend, then then I'll talk a bit about the other two comedy premieres this week, which you've already talked about, but uh, Man with a Plan and The Great Indoors, each other pilot this week, then we'll talk, a, do a bit of like a general talk about uh, Halloween comedies this week. So that's Bob's Burgers, Tina Witch, um, Fresh Off the Boat, Lewis Ween, uh, Blackish, The Purge, Superstore, Halloween, Theft and Speechless, H-A-L Halloween. Then we'll talk a little good place, most improved player, and we'll round things out with Jane the Virgin, chapter 47. But, I mean, how, how awesome is it to have Crazy Ex-Girlfriend back, Noel? It's so awesome.
1: Like, I watched the episode again last night, um, because it's been a month since I watched this. And um, it's still just really good, and I'm very excited. Even though it's not coming through in my voice right now, I'm very excited about um, where the show is seems primed to go this season. And I really cannot wait to see what they're going to do with Paula, with Greg, um, those two in particular, um, but I'm like super, super, super duper excited. How are you feeling um, about the show's prospects to this season, just based on the premiere?
0: There's, there's so much in this premiere that if I didn't already have such faith in these writers, that would just reaffirm uh, my affinity for the show and my uh, hopes for the season, because they, they move several of these characters in such intelligent ways. Like It's good for the story. It's good for the show. And it shows that they identify where some of the issues are. So uh, just having Greg realize he's an alcoholic um, and like terrific. It works. They, they, they throw, you know, they show um, uh, Rebecca thinking back on showing little clips from the previous season. Like, oh, yeah, that does make sense uh okay and it 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 adds a context to to last season that is really interesting and feels like it feels like a choice on the behalf of the writers it doesn't feel like they were necessarily seeding that all along but it makes complete sense and it's such a distinct choice to make uh that i think they'll handle it well um that's really interesting having that then immediately connect to paula and her being addicted to Rebecca's drama in a way that she was that was not healthy, and her identifying that and and wanting to change that, and Rebecca's support of that too. Like, there's so I I really appreciated the 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 moves that this premiere makes to to show a understanding of the of the parts of the show that work, the parts of it that uh, were working, but can't last like the stuff with Paula like you, they needed to change that dynamic it was not they were not gonna be able to just have another season of you know con- consequence consequence-free enabling for her so this is just such a more interesting way for her to go and and it was funny and the performances were, were really great and I liked the songs and it was just the all the regular crazy girlfriend stuff that, that you'd already like so um yeah I thought it was a really strong premiere
1: how do you feel about plain hummus?
0: <laughs> Who likes plain hummus? I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a hummus person anyways, but I did enjoy that recurring gag. Uh, what do you think about Daryl the Broom?
1: Oh man, I, I my only thing with Daryl the Broom is that I was disappointed that he wasn't a broom for the rest of the episode, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to say, but <coughs> I was very disappointed that he wasn't a broom just for the rest of this episode. <laughs> um and just to like play that up, keep the voice work there, but just like it's it's Daryl the Broom. Um I felt like that would have just been really funny. Um it would have been a little weird when Rebecca goes, "I want that," and you're looking at White Josh getting keys from a broom. But still, it would have been really funny. <laughs> uh, um, no, um, I totally agree with you about Greg and how they kind of retroactively <clears throat> acknowledged the fact that he was drinking too much. Um, and I feel like that was something that was sort of acknowledged, like within the finale. Like they were prepared to do this as a season two storyline for him to deal with, like, everything that he was going to deal with, um, and, but the Paula stuff is what got me just, like, I loved the Paula stuff in this episode, um, she gets a song next week, um, I- it's funny i can say that she gets a song next week and i don't feel like i'm spoiling it telling you the genre of the song i feel like would be the spoiler so i'm not going to tell you that
0: and by the time Um, any of our listeners hears this they probably will have already watched that episode so you would solely be spoiling me so i appreciate normally that wouldn't be a concern but i appreciate your restraint sir
1: (laughs) right well i mean that's the thing like i've talked about this with a couple of other folks and we've determined that saying what genre a song is going to be is the actual spoiler on this show yeah because that's the treat is finding out what they're going to do is like this kind of weird experimental romance song that they do with love kernels here which is great and just wonderful and i love that they spent their entire production budget on that one song um <coughs> that that's where like the pleasure of the one of the many pleasures of this show comes from is finding out what musical genre, music genre they're going to toy with that week. Um, so Paula gets a song next week, and, but like, I'm just so keyed up for Paula striking out on her own, applying for law school, and I'm, just, I'm really excited that is like, taking control of her life in a way that is productive and isn't self-destructive in the way that Helping Rebecca each week wasn't necessarily self-destructive for her, but it was very much not healthy because, I mean, it was impacting her marriage until her husband got on board with all the drama. And then it was a good thing, but until that point, it was just really bad because it was just consuming her life. And now she can find something else to throw her energies into, and I'm really excited that she's wanting to do law school with that, and I think that's really, really great. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited. Um, I think like the only other two things to like that I want your feedback on is how you feel about the Rebecca and Josh stuff that we get this week Um, and how that kind of feeds into the new song, the new opening song that we get this for this season. And then my other question is how you felt about the Amazon Prime product placement. And whether or not it was used exclusively for sex toys, made it better for you. <laughs>
0: uh, I thought that that was uh, I, I thought that that was actually uh, pretty fun. And I think they were a bit heavy-handed with the handcuffs, uh, having Josh like wring his hands, like, "Look, guys, I was the one who wanted to wear the hank Like, we get it. I think it would have been better and funnier if it had just been like. They hadn't had the close up, you know, but I loved that, that was part of it too. I thought that was great, uh, terrific, and um, in the, I and because they incorporated the sex wing with uh with Paula and her husband as part of a conversation about like establishing they're in a, such a better place. They're so much more in tune with each other, and in such a they're they're a team again. Like you know, theoretically, you want a married couple it's supposed to be that's what they're supposed you know if if the marriage is working and is and is healthy and is communicative um so that was part of it wasn't just like it was a little you know the first time uh it, it, it wasn't as graceful a, a um incorporation as it could have been into the dialogue but you know i'll take it if it means we get the show uh sort of you know like 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 i don't think a show will top chuck for organically including product placement, you know, in a way that that works um, and feels appropriate to the characters, um, but but I thought it, it could have been a lot worse. Um, and sorry, what was the other question? Uh,
1: I wanted to know how you felt about the Rebecca and Josh stuff. Oh yes, the and... Rebecca and Josh stuff. Yeah, right.
0: Um, so I thought that it was good. I um, I think they. It seemed to me like they really wanted to stress the unhealthy, messed up parts of the relationship before they start showing the stuff that actually is positive and is, you know, is, is good. The reasons that they do connect with each other would, and and they are really sweet and really good together at times, but, you know, they, they didn't want to start with that and then say, by the way, it's totally messed up. Um, And I appreciate that. Um, I think it was a little heavy-handed again um I think they took a a while to get to like the reason that Josh likes Rebecca is because she listens to him she she validates him like there is a reason that he is drawn to her and connected to her and they they waited quite a while in this episode to show us that um so I don't like I, I appreciate what they're going for with it um but uh I think I, I think that now that they've laid some groundwork with that, that they'll be able to do more um, show more nuance to that dynamic. And I think that will be better. And I really like the new intro and this this idea of infant, infantilizing infantilizing, I should say, um, Rebecca. And, you know, this idea that, oh, well, you can do whatever you want if you just say it's for love um, shows, again, an awareness of uh, of Rebecca's bullshit. About how she's behaving and uh, shows looming consequences.
1: Yeah, I agree with that looming consequences. Plus the fact that she eradicated that poor um, dancer in the uh, in the tag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that poor woman is doesn't exist anymore. She had a whole life. She had memories, Kate. <laughs> she doesn't exist anymore. What did you think about it, Rebecca and Josh? Um. <clears throat> yeah. No, I agree that it was. Um, it was heavy handed in a way that I kind of felt uncomfortable with um, in a lot of ways that I felt like the show was engaging in a lot of the things that people who haven't watched the show would immediately assume that this is what the show is about every week type of yeah. thing. Uh, this woman is crazy, like crazy, like she got a Steve Joplin drawer, guys. Not great. <laughs> as much Joplin.
0: as I enjoy Steve Joplin or Scott right. Joplin, Scott as much Joplin, as I enjoy yes. Scott Joplin yeah.
1: Right. So, I mean, it's that kind of thing where you go, this sounds really misogynistic, and it's not depicting women in the best way. And the episode, like, again, feeds into that. But, I mean, you only understand the fact that the show is aware of the fact that they're doing that and will then upend it in some way that her actions have consequences. If, even if they're, her best friend goes... Yeah, I can't do this anymore, and here's a legally binding contract for my sake Yeah, type of thing. And so that's the thing where I go – it is kind of heavy-handed, and it is kind of going into the weeds of the show's premise – But then I keep remembering that the show is able to pull itself back and go, but these things matter to all of these characters. This isn't just some ha-ha, funny parody. She's she's so crazy but so cute at the same time. It's she she has emotional issues that she needs to address. Mm -hmm. And we're aware of that as a show, and we're aware of that as an audience that the show knows that. And I think that that's why they can do something like this premiere – where we watch Rebecca basically emotionally manipulate Josh into making it think it was his
2: fault mm-hmm.
1: for saying our romance is about to begin as opposed to her
0: fault um,
1: <laughs> and that sort of thing. So I think that we're able to see again, also that Rebecca is aware of the fact that she's doing that, but that, Again, like the new opening number, you can't call her crazy because she's in love and being in love makes you crazy. So ergo, it's perfectly okay because you want her to be in love. Um, so I think that it's all just really well executed, really well smartly plotted out. And I'm so excited for more of this show and for you to also catch up to where I am with the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm like as will surprise no one that's been listening to us for the past um, year. I'm very excited about what's coming up for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend.
0: Yeah, no, me too. Definitely excited. Um, next <laughs> up is a show I'm not excited about, and that's Man with a Plan. This is the new Matt LeBlanc comedy. Uh, this is CBS, right? On CBS. Yes, this is on CBS. Yes. Yeah, and it's not good. Um, you had already, you know, given us a very uh well argued and thought out uh, critique back at our TV preview, a um, fall TV preview and I cosign pretty much everything you're saying. What? He's gotta take care of his children. That's that's crazy. It's crazy. How could you do? but I, I actually think that um, because I went in with such very lowered expectations for this, it was slightly better than I expected. But not, sure. not, not very. Uh, I, what yeah. I did appreciate in this is that there is a, there's more of an awareness and a communication between the, the the parents, like the couple, than you usually see in this kind of a setup. Like the, the, the mom is listening to the dad, the Met LeBlanc character and like under, understanding of of him in the ways that he's struggling here. She doesn't just throw him to the wolves and say, and like yell at him when he realizes it's going to be really hard. And he also, when he's um responding to it, like and he doesn't want her to quit, quit her job. He never says you should not have a job. He And he doesn't apply that either. He He's not trying to just foist everything on her either. He just doesn't know how to deal. So like there's a bit more back and forth and attempts to, where, again, work as a team, then, again, you usually see in this type of a setup for an episode or a show. But that's just, like, the faintest of praise. Um, it's it's just not very interesting. It's not very funny. It's some stuff, you know, actors who are very talented, who you've seen be better in other things, just getting a paycheck, and it's not worth your time, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Great in-
1: is Great indoors. worth everyone's time, Kate?
0: Oh, God, No. it's so not good um and you're absolutely right in in what you'd said about it Noel, joel McHale is not old enough to be this out of it and i mean i mean stephen fry is stephen fry enough to be out of it but um but no he's just not and it's just it's it's all of these millennial jokes um which are just they're just not funny and they don't make sense. So this like so every like, I really appreciate Christopher Plas Plats. Uh, Actually, I think he's really funny, um, yeah. and and so I'm glad that he's getting work. You know, he's getting a paycheck here, um, but they don't. Is I've yet to see a show understand millennials, and, and try to get humor out of them.
1: How as, dare you say that about girls?
0: Um, <laughs> and um, it's just like this, like the stuff they do with the. Trophies, like making fun of this idea of you get a, everybody gets a participation trophy. Um, While I understand where that comes from, that doesn't speak to my experience. And if you're going to make that joke, the way that they bring it back at the end of the episode doesn't make any sense. So you had, they had a joke about it earlier in the episode, which, okay, fair enough. But then they bring it back at the end of the episode in a way that's just stupid and takes you out of any sort of, reality to any dynamics they're trying to set up. And I think if you actually try to be more honest and real about millennials and your humor of it uh, with that dynamic uh, and the generation gap or, you know, personality gap between Joel McHale and, and the millennials in the office, um, there's a lot more humor to be, to be found. And we will talk about a show that does that kind of thing well when we get to Superstore, because that's a show that takes full advantage of – the different personalities and and, and um, just the the generational differences between different members of the of the team, the Cloud Nine team over there, uh, and and yet doesn't make sure that each of the like when it's deciding which elements of like millennialism or whatever are going to apply to Jonah and which are going to apply to these different characters. It always makes sense. So always like fits the scene and fits the character and they don't have any interest in doing that in the great indoors. And so it's just like, yes, there's an adorable bear cub at the wow, end. It's so cute. It's so cute. And yes, Stephen Fry holding the bear cub and, and giving it scotch in his time for its nap is delightful. Uh, obviously don't do that in real, realsies people. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, if
1: you see a bear run, yeah, Bears are dangerous.
0: Yeah. They, they will just, you will, how to survive a bear attack. One, you, you die. You don't, <laughs> Yeah. You know. That 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 was a that was actually a, a nice little beat there in in the show, um. But it's just such a waste of a talented group of people and the 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 hokey romance they're setting up with the two leads is not good. And I mean, I yay Stephen Fry's giving money, but can't we just can we just start like start airing QI over here or something so I can get a Stephen Fry fix without this kind of terrible writing? No apparently not well let's let's move off of these uh episodes and let's talk about some actually some quality and entertaining uh network comedy here and that's uh i just kind of all thrown together our halloween episodes from bob's burgers fresh off the boat blackish superstore and and speechless now i didn't get to speechless but i watched all the other ones uh i thought it was a strong strong week for it I i think they they pretty much all showed up to play here
1: I think so, too. And Speechless also showed up to play. There was um, some solid stuff with the kids in Speechless this week. And also some really good stuff with the parents this week. Um, which I think Speechless very much needed, especially for the parents. Um, there was the, It was very, very good, I think. And I'd encourage you to watch it. So I'll like just say that. Mm-hmm. And um, my other thing is that I love the fact that both Speechless and um fresh off the boat were in no small part about how dads really love Halloween and nobody
0: else does. (laughs) I really like Halloween. Well, no, no, no. I mean
1: like within these two shows, like really love Halloween and no one else is really that keyed up for Halloween or they want to do something else for Halloween. Yeah. And so like, I really enjoyed those aspects of it. Um, I liked how the Blackish episode wasn't like huge on Halloween as like a concept, but did a lot of really fun stuff with Junior and Dre, um, in no, and that in very well incorporated um, Charlie and incorporated <laughs> oh, Diane's Diane hatred of Charlie at
0: the funeral. <laughs> at the funeral. but one day, one day. See, I, I love Jack's confusion. Why are you smiling? You know he's not dead, right? Not like why are you smiling? Oh. <laughs> like oh do you know he's not dead you know like I like that they they took that joke and that you thought it was going to be and inverted it and have this give Jack this awareness that that Diane is just so happy because she's imagining Charlie dead I I like that it's really spread out to not just the parents but the entire family realizing that she's possibly evil likely evil and that
1: they're all deeply worried about her yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, so no, I-, I thought it was, like you said, a very strong week um of Halloween specials. Um I liked how Lou oh, God. Um can I just Kate, can I just tell you how much I love Pete Vampress?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> oh
1: god, like I mean, A, I love the I love how Pete Sampras is a recurring figure within Fresh Off the Boat because he was such a major sports figure in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And that he's also... But the entire idea that he's dressing up as Pete Vampress is such a plea to Jessica to get engaged because Jessica loves Pete Sampras. Yeah. And she's not even willing to do it for Pete Sampras. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't, Halloween doesn't rank above a Denzel Washington opening, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is also again a very ninety specific reference, and I really love that that their references are specific but also still very funny in the sense that Pete Vanpris is just a very funny pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> excuse me. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the stuff with. Um, Eddie wasn't particularly strong, I thought, but I enjoyed um, Ian and Emery still trying to navigate how their relationship is changing Um, from them being in different schools to now them trying to figure out what they're doing for, like, their costume and the tensions between that. And I love the fact that they both dressed up as different versions of Indiana Jones and both of them are equally valid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I liked that. And then... Everything that Bob's Burgers episode just made me happy, Kate. I loved, I loved Tina's idea of a hot mess. I loved that idea of it getting stolen, and then, frankly, I think that a sandwich is a much better costume than being a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And I loved all the cursing and the witch stuff. I thought it was just it was a very delightful week of Halloween episodes. And I've I look forward to like holiday episodes on sitcoms, but I look forward to Halloween episodes more than I look forward to any other because they involve such a wide sense of play for these characters that I can't get enough of them. So how did you feel about this week of Halloween episodes? Which parts stood out to you? Was there a particular episode that was like your favorite of these? Or did, were they all kind of clicking for you on an equal level?
0: I gotta say, of, of these different shows, the one that I am finding myself running to first on my DVR, like, if there was a new episode of all of these up, well, first I'd watch Younger, but then... <laughs> would, but but the one I'm finding myself going to first is Superstore, which I wouldn't oh, have anticipated. Oh, I forgot to
1: talk about Supergirl. I'm sorry. Supergirl, Superstore. But no, let's talk about Superstore. <laughs>
0: yeah, because the... I don't know it just like the dynamics of it are so fun the the I I appreciate the large ensemble cast and that they have these like recurring figures like like Sandra and like with the dogs last week and um versus the, the wasps uh bees nest whatever hornet's nest uh in this episode uh just like everybody not being able to handle Dina's completely inappropriate costume. But what are they going to say? This costume that you purchased at our store is not comfort is not appropriate to wear in our store. You know, um, I, I I thought that that, I, I thought that that was an entertaining subplot. The, the ugly fruit uh, and how they were handling all of that. Like I, I again, I, I, I am finding myself, just kind of going to that one first. And I would not have guessed that even just a few months ago. Um, as for the rest of the episodes, like the, the Charlie on the ceiling was amazing. Oh, God. So amazing. And they just left him there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and then, uh, Jessica's reaction to like, Hey, you guys keep up your Christmas lights forever. So we're doing we're one, like we're an a morning late with, with Halloween. You know, who cares? Like, that's so Jessica. I thought that was, you know, that worked really well. And, I mean, Billy Eichner as the shh librarian is just always, I always love whenever he comes up. It's like, it it may be my favorite use of Billy Eichner.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually the best use of Billy Eichner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any final thoughts on these Halloween episodes? Or any any other shows you'd like to see get a bit more, uh, Halloween-centered next year?
1: Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head because who knows how many of, like... I mean, at this point, Superstore is NBC's second-longest-running comedy mm-hmm. after the Carmichael show. Um, <laughs> and I don't need The Good Place to do a Halloween episode because The Good Place does what it does very yeah. well. Um, I think that the only other thing I'll mention... Two things I'll mention is... One is that I love the fact that a customer came to Cloud9 dressed up as the Cloud9 mascot with yes. blood over his face. Yes. To call back to the cannibalism plot
0: from like two weeks ago. With, and no mention of it. Just And like, no mention of it. It's yeah. just
1: like, why does this guy have blood? And then I realized what they, they were doing and I died, Kate. I died. <laughs> um, I was just laughing really hard. Um, and then the other thing, and I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I definitely tweeted it today, is that I'm Jonah sometimes mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't know how to feel about that uh, um, mainly because like like I said when I think we discussed the gun episode is that that was basically would have just been me in that scenario and then at the end of the episode when um, he's just like well yeah you kind of want to be in a messed up headspace for German expressionism as soon as he said that I went oh god that was exactly something <laughs> I would say to someone after they had said that to me oh no, I'm this kind of charming, insufferable white guy. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> um, oh, but I am I, also, I, I would also be kind of annoyed that no one asked
0: me about my Brexit costume. Um, and I was waiting all episode for someone to like mention it. And so when they did, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then he's like, so nobody, nobody's going to ask me. He's like, yeah, John, either everybody already gets it. And you're not as clever as you think you are or nobody cares. Uh, And it's
1: probably no, it's probably a mixture of both at the same time is that we all get it, but they don't want to give you the satisfaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, And so I thought that that was just such a perfect Jonah ending to that, you know, to that episode. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, you already mentioned it. Our next episode here is the good place, most improved player. And I just, I am continuing to love what they're doing on the good place as far as discussing, you know morality and and ethics and and what everybody's responsibilities are it just they're really doing tremendous work over on the good place
1: right i mean just i mean eleanor's assertion that there should be a middle place is in and of itself a deeply powerful statement to make yeah i think um, operating especially from a Judeo-Christian Western perspective of that middle place is purgatory for most of us. Well, it's, and that's not a good place waiting. either. Right. Yeah. And it's not the best place to be either. Like... It's not. It's not great. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, I like the fact that she's making, even if from a selfish place, she's making a statement for a middle place. And I really, really like that. And I think that's a very powerful statement to make. But I think that the other thing that kind of comes through really strongly in this episode, and runs through a lot of the other stuff, like when um, Michael talks to Heaney about the fact that well. You doing good things here is fine, but it doesn't count anymore because you're here. And I love that that idea comes back here in this episode when they're going to lose Eleanor, basically. And Eleanor has been trying to be better and within the short time frame that the show has. And that, that this idea that, well, even though it doesn't count anymore, it's still going to count. In the way that we like Eleanor, even though she's kind of a rotten human being, but she's not a horrible rotten human being. She's not a dictator, mass-murdering, genocide person, or an artist, or or a person who takes off their socks and shoes on a commercial air flight.
0: (laughs) She's not going to let Michael go to the eternal shriek. Right, exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's that's i think one of the big like really kind of powerful statements that they're making is that the idea that there's just this kind of binary good bad isn't great for any of us and that we're all more complicated than even like ch- even everyone else is like more complicated because i mean we've talked about how tahini is just kind of an insufferable name dropper and they crank it up to 11 here yeah Oh no, my, my good friend, whose name I won't mention, he's found such comfort from me that he asked me to be on his show, Anderson Cooper three sixty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really very funny. But she did so many good things that you make up for the fact that she's just kind of an insufferable person, also. And I there's there's room for the tahinis and there's room for the Eleanor's in the world and there should be room in them for the afterlife as well that they don't have to be taken on a train by a guy named Trevor who <laughs> is the Scott. worst and it's such a good deployment of Adam Scott yeah um and I've been talking a bit and I need to like rest my voice and my brain so how did you feel about like Adam Scott how did you feel about like this episode's depiction of morality how did you feel about the fact that now, every time someone asks for something, they just get a cactus. <laughs>
0: uh, I continue to enjoy, because of the, the, the condensed timeline uh, that we're in right now on the show, I continue to enjoy the progression of Janet. That actress is terrific. Gosh, she's so great. She's so good. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the banality of, of bad, because it, it's not the evil place. It's the bad place. And so the only food is lukewarm clam chowder. Manhattan clam chowder. Manhattan it's not clam good giant. clam chowder. It's Manhattan and clam chowder. the dining car is closed. And every time you notice the temperature, it gets one degree hotter. Like, that, I just think, is such a, a delicious way to view it. Um, and that combined with, I don't know, I, between the, this episode and, and Rectify talking about Hell's Other People... Um I just thought it was such a fun week for what is hell or what is the bad place what is what is the way that you torture um yourself and other people and I I thought it was just such a a, a nice counterpoint to what they've shown to be the good place um that it it was it was funny and cuz it needs to be bad but it can't be so bad that we're like appalled that Eleanor took so long because the good Eleanor has been stuck there. Right. So I think they threaded the needle nicely and Anna Scott is a lot of fun and very well used here. Very well deployed.
1: Well, I think my last question about this episode then, Kate, is... And this is really important. And this que- the answer to this question will determine whether or not I continue to co-host this. Okay. okay. Hawaiian pizza. The worst pizza or the worst pizza?
0: See, you, you should know my answer. I've already voted in this Twitter poll. And Hawaiian pizza is delicious and one of my favorites. And I can give you a detailed reason as to why, if you like, it has to do with acidity and sugar in the pineapple as compared to the tomato sauce and the, the salt counteracting that in the ham, though I prefer ham or bacon to Canadian bacon. I have very distinct thoughts as to the shape of that bacon or, or ham on the pizza so as to not make every bite then just drag all the cheese with it um but i am very pro hawaiian pizza and the consequences be damned sir well
1: everyone i've enjoyed my time (laughs) co-hosting the televerse for um just under a year now um so uh good luck to the next uh co-host that has to come up with a smorgasbord board and a top 20 list in like (laughs) note absolutely zero prep time um but <laughs> have fun with that guys and we'll continue the podcast for the rest of this week and then next
0: week uh, new guest co-host no we'll no find out who it is why it why are you so Emily anti Stevens. ham uh, well because uh, i know that i saw that you were pro pineapple and i i echo the sentiments of i can't yeah. remember who it was who's saying usually people are anti-pineapple but you're anti-ham
1: well i, I don't like pineapple on pizza either um okay. but i like pineapple. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it being on pizza ruins both things and that's not okay, okay. but I'm like not I don't like ham at all uh. like I don't I don't eat ham in like I eat pork in certain forms yeah but I don't eat ham because ham is disgusting it looks weird it smells weird and it tastes weird and it's it's just gross and I've never liked it um I find it just even if it's prepared well, I just find it kind of like fatty and chewy in ways that I do not respond to. Okay,
0: and well, I you just, know, you yeah. know what this means Noel. This means that when we're in Vegas for Clexicon, we, more for more for both of us, right? So, <laughs> we, so we, don't, not, we don't we don't we won't worry. need to share,
1: yeah, right? No, exactly. So no, that's that's a good point. But then it also won't matter that. I mean, I won't be going to Clexicon now because I'm not co-hosting
0: this podcast (laughs) anymore. Uh, (coughs) Well, before I before you make any firm decisions on that, I think we should talk about our next show. Because if anything is going to reel you back in to the podcast, it's getting to talk about Jane the Virgin and uh, how awesome this episode was. Yes. Were you were you as on board with this episode as me? God, it's so good, right? Yeah, it's real good. I mean, where do you do you want to
1: start with, like, do you want to start with Scott and just the awfulness of Scott? <laughs> you mean vests? Or, vests, right, no. Like, do you want to start with the awfulness of that? Or should we start with, like, the way more pressing, more nuanced, thoughtful, powerhouse
0: way that the show treated an abortion? Can we just, I look forward to the day when this episode, Chapter 47's uh, Take... On abortion is not something that is particularly notable, laudable, right. and we're celebra- It needs and we're to be celebrated. Yeah.
1: But we're celebrating it, like, across, like, everything. Because yeah. they just went, she had an abortion. It wasn't, it was a deal between her and her mother. But it was also something that they came to terms with, with one another. And that it wasn't. It was the B-plot. This wasn't something that required a very special episode. It wasn't something that required a lot of hemming and hawing in terms of, do I need to do this? Do I really want to do this? How do I feel about this? It's very much, no, this isn't right for me. I'm going to go take care of this in a way that is safe and healthy. And for me, both like speaking medically, but also just personally and personally and as woman this is what I'm okay with this is what I need to do for myself and I'm going to go do it in a safe way and then I'm going to talk to my mom about it and we're going to come to terms with it and it's just like this is really good and it's really well acted it's really well written but it's also just the fact that it wasn't a big deal is why it's a big deal
0: yeah yeah the the statistics are that between, you'll find different numbers, different places, but one in three or one in four, some will even say one in five, women will have an abortion in the span of their life. And do you know three women? Do you know five women? If so, think about what that number means. And yet this is a topic, and a, a majority are people who already have children who, uh, were using birth control at the time they got pregnant. This is not, you know, like, this is a significant, difficult choice. Oh, and also overwhelmingly most don't regret the decision that they made. They would not make a different decision if they had to, you know, if they could go back in time. This is a significant choice and a significant situation in a lot of women's lives and it is something that we don't talk about certainly in our in our media in our entertainment and it's crazy to me so when you see a show like this say yes she went in and she had a medical uh she, she took the couple of pills that is um a medical uh, abortion uh, i'm not thinking the right term noel do you remember what the term was on the show
1: uh, no, but I'll look it up real quick while you're
0: talking. Yeah, she had basically the kind of abortion where you take a couple pills and you take them like one or two days apart, and and that was that. And this was, and it, it's already over. We're not going to have the episode where we hem and haw about what's the right thing. No, this is, this is, this is what abortion looks like. Did she? Yeah, she did need just, to be rushed to the hospital. It's this just is a
1: medical abortion.
0: Yeah. A medical abortion. It is just a a very safe procedure. That she had. And so the, when, when this is such a significant, like when this is an issue or a aspect of one's life that affects so many women, and yet it's so rare to see it treated respectfully and honestly in our media, something is screwed up with our priorities as a country and in what we will allow, you know, what we will allow the conversation to be. No,
1: absolutely. And I mean, I think again, like about the politics, and I mentioned this when we talked about like our New Year's resolution, our TV resolutions with the trap documentary is that like, prior to that Supreme Court decision striking down Texas's trap laws is like, even to get a medical abortion, clinics needed to have like surgery rooms, basically to administer those pills in a lot of instances. There are
0: requirements about how tall the ceiling was in the room where they sat and took a pill.
1: Right. And that's just, that's wildly ridiculous. And that we're depicting this kind of a very safe procedure as both A, safe, and B, a choice that Zoe is making. uh, And that Zoe does not regret as so far as basically the anxiety was whether or not to tell abuela that was it it wasn't whether or not to have it it was whether or not to tell abuela and that that was the issue at the plot and that's just again like you said like when there are at least up to one in five women having some type of ab- abortion that that it's not being represented in a way that depicts it either in a heightened melodramatic way or i.e. like a very special episode or in a way that requires like some sort of, like you said, um, like rush to emergency room type of thing, or this kind of moral obligation type of thing where not everyone does that and not everyone will do that. And that the show acknowledges that this is a experience that people can have within the confines of the show is just really powerful, but like you said, it'll be nice when another show does this and in, in the future, when we don't have to be like, this was really big and bold for the show to do in such in the way that it did it.
0: Yeah. And I just, I just watched, it was just watching the, this episode, was just my, my jaw just kind of like going like, I, was, I, just, kept, I just kept waiting. Like, wait, are they really doing, they're really doing, oh my God, I love this show so much. I love this show so much. Um, but yeah, it was. It, this is the type of representation uh, of women's health and this aspect of women's health that we need to see more of, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I just was very, very happy with the with that corner of the episode. I was happy with every corner of the episode. Right. I so, mean- like
1: another hot button choice, school choice, hot button issue, school choice, and where you want to send your kid.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> The, 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 um, the biting was, was fun. That, that, the, that terrible cherry wallpaper, uh, was, was fun. But the part that, of the episode that was getting me, um, emotionally outside of like the abortion stuff was really actually getting me emotionally just because it is such an important topic as far as I'm concerned. But, um, the, the stuff with Jane and Michael's PTSD over the shooting and watching Michael, like delayed reaction like now that jane is okay he can actually process and react that was yeah. really powerful too
1: yeah it was and i like i really liked how the show handled that in ways that again like the show nicely played a number of really serious things without overplaying them without becoming mawkish um or without engaging in like bad melodrama um it just became very well grounded in these characters and these experiences and I thought that was just really good. And I was I was really excited about that.
0: Yeah. Any final thoughts on Gene?
1: I think the one last final thought I'll have is, um, and I was joking about this with a few um, TV Guide folks, is whether or not we now need Rogelio to appear, appear on every CW show <laughs> as part of his American invasion. Um, <laughs> but I, I like this idea of him wanting to bring his telenovelas to the people of the United States so that they don't mistake him for Eric Estrada again.
0: Yeah, clearly. Clearly, yeah. No, that was fun. That was a, a nice way to to tie that up. I always, just, the scenes that we get of from his the show within a show or whatever, it's just so delightful. And I continue to appreciate the, the show's prioritization of women of color directors on the show within the show. Um, and it's just, continue, it's one of my favorite little, like, you know, things that I tick off the list whenever they go to his telenovela, which is delightful. So what wins your week in comedy? Uh,
1: it's totally a tie between uh, Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week. Um, I don't yeah. think that there was any other choice. Um, but um, The Good Place is like super, super close third. But, no, it was Crazy Ex and Jane the Virgin. And you said, yeah, so I'm assuming, like, you... Yeah, don't make me pick
0: between them. That's not nice. That's not nice. So, and it's our podcast, so we don't have to. So, yeah, to ourselves, I guess. I don't know, to me, for asking the question. To to you, Uh, yeah, because, I
1: mean, you're the one that makes the rules here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I make the rules here, apparently, so that means that uh, we're going to wrap up the segment. And as we will be talking about the Hamilton's America documentary it's an excuse for me to use some Hamilton so we will to do a little Hamilton music and we'll be back with our week in genre, reality, and drama.
2: How does a bastard Orphan son of the whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence, impoverished and squalor. Grow up to be a hero and a scholar. The ten dollar founding father without a father. Got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter. By 14, they placed him in charge of the trade and charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered, or carted away across the Waves. Our Hamilton kept his guard up. Inside, he was longing for something to be a part of. The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, borrow. And a hurricane came. Devastation reigned, And our man saw his future drip, dripping down the drain. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain, and he wrote his first refrain—a testament to his pain. well the words got around they said this kid is insane man took up a collection just to send him to the mainland get your education don't forget from whence you came and the world is gonna know your name what's your name man alexander hamilton
0: that was uh lin miranda's performance of alexander hamilton from the was it 2008 right white house uh, uh
1: i think it was 09. Oh, is it oh yeah. nine
0: uh, well, you're doing like the slam poetry right slam poetry yeah yeah i think that was 09 some poetry night um which was you know mentioned and featured in in this week's pbs uh, great performance hamilton's america uh, and I'm, so I'm taking, that's a good enough reason, it's a good enough excuse to use it to lead into the segment. Um, here we're going to be talking about the weekend drama, reality, and genre. So we're going to kick things off with Rectify, which had its premiere, A House Divided. Then I'll talk briefly about Pure Genius, which had its pilot. We'll talk Queen Sugar, or I should say Noel will, because I thought it was caught up, but I am one behind, and... Uh, Next week, I will be caught up on Queen Sugar, Wherewithal, and um, then we'll talk great performances, Hamilton's America, and we'll round things out with The Flash, The New Rogues, and Supergirl Welcome to Earth. So first up is Rectify, and I mean, I knew I love Rectify, and I knew I was going to love having the show back, and I knew Aiden Young is amazing, but I was not prepared for just how happy I was To see Daniel and to hear that cadence again, Noel. Like it. I'm so glad Rectify is back.
1: I'm glad Rectify is back. But then I realized how much that this show turns my stomach into knots. Mm -hmm. Um, in good, productive, emotional ways, but it still turns my stomach into knots. And by like the end of this premiere, I was like kind of sick, um, just because I'm so just wrapped up in this show and just even like it just speaks to a where i am with the show but b also where the show is with itself that like daniel can have an interaction with his lackadaisical boss um about finishing his work early and then maybe getting his paycheck while his boss isn't doing anything and my gut is just, like, kind of doing a small flip because it's a very minor mundane interaction for anyone other than Daniel. And just how Aiden Young conveys, like, confusion about what he's supposed to do in this situation and how he's supposed to respond to a boss that isn't someone who can take something away from him in, a, in the same way that people could take things away from him while he was in prison— And it's just watching him, watching the writing and watching the performance navigate how that works is just gut-wrenching and really powerful and really subtle. And really powerful and really subtle, A, sums up this show, but B, it sums up this episode that even when they're being very explicit about what Daniel is feeling in a way that the show has never really been explicit about before, it's still just... A series of really rapid gut punches that I'm just like sobbing by the end of this and even though I was sobbing beforehand I was sobbing by the end of it as well that it's just I'm really glad it's back but I'm also just deeply emotional that it's back in part because I'm just really exhausted but I'm also just like the show just knows which buttons to press to make me just break down basically
0: (laughs) well it's just (sighs) I really liked their decision to have the premiere just be Daniel in his yes. new environment at the new Canaan house, and we get the phone, we get the voice message from his mom, but but that's it. And really, just following him and putting the audience in his perspective of you don't get to see the other familiar faces, you don't get to see people you know and love and trust and everything. You just are surrounded by these strangers and just he's just trying to live and not having his family there to take his mind off of himself is weighing on him so heavily just the again the the banality of of aspects of his life now you know at least when he was you know, like when he's moving things where like, his job is move stuff and check a list. And so of course he does it quickly and is done with his job. So when he does it well, I think we're absolutely supposed to believe him when, you know, assume that he didn't screw up the order. But, um, but is that, you know, as the, the show so mem- memorably quoted, was it last season or the season before? Is that all there is? Yeah. And, does he even deserve that? If that is all there is, does he even deserve that? Because he's not sure he does. He doesn't think he does. And that conversation we get, like, the way the episode builds to the conversation with, like, the the, the group leader or, you know, the person who leads the, the group talk. The yeah. Yeah. Um, it's terrific. It's and and the the strength of Aiden Young's performance. And this is the premiere. You know, it's only gonna build over the course of the season. Every season it does. Every season we build to an insanely affecting end of end of the season. Like if you think Aiden Young is good at the beginning of the season, he always is so much better. We're, he gets you so much more by the end of the season that I can't even imagine where we're gonna be.
1: Right. I think this idea of, like, what Daniel deserves is really very central to, like, the episode and basically runs through everything. And um, I think it's... I'm really fascinated by the fact, and I love the fact as well, that the other members of the house um, basically come to him in a way that says we understand to a degree and we respect the fact that you're clearly very intelligent. But you need to be able to talk to other people and let other people help you type of thing. And I think that there's more power in that coming from them as people who have been through a version of what he went through not the version but a version of what he went through that that kind of a statement coming from these men resonates in a way that that kind of a statement coming from his family doesn't make as much sense to him
0: yeah he cuz it could it would be platitudes coming from someone but, else and they have they have some level of experience that they can relate to him in a way that is harder to dismiss, and harder to, uh, you know, it's harder to brush aside, and 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 it's that it's the difference, you know, it's the show knowing, and Ray McKinnon, the creator, knowing this can't come from the family because this is what the show is saying, and it's using these characters to say it. Because if it comes from the family, it means something different then it maybe that's what the characters think but not necessarily this is if we want this to be our the you know what the show is arguing Daniel needs to do where Daniel needs to be then we need to have that come from a different source and yes if you could give a similar speech to his family members and those actors would nail it cuz they're all, they're all amazing this cast is terrific but it wouldn't it wouldn't be the right source for for what Daniel needs to hear and for what the point again, that the show is trying, trying to make, it's just, it's just such a powerful show. It just, and what I keep coming back to as I, as I look over the shows that I've discovered or watched over the course of the, of the podcast and really connected to, they're always shows that have empathy, that have passion and that feel achingly. There's like whether it's comedy or drama that it they wear their hearts on their sleeves and they make you feel, and they are just over they're just brimming and overfilled with emotion. even in, even in a show like Rectify where you have a character, Daniel who can't necessarily express that or channel it. Or even understand it, at times. This always shows the feel, and and that's for me what Rectify is. It's experiential. It's emotional, but more than anything, it's it's so full.
1: No, that's no. You're you're absolutely correct. It's it is full, and that's why, like I think, like I get sick, kind of, when I watch it. Is that it's just. It's so achingly is a really good word, Kate, that crafted and put together that it knows exactly when to do something and it knows exactly how to do that. So you get something like Daniel being told that he made a mistake and our both of our immediate reactions is that, well, Daniel only makes mistakes right now when he's angry. This is a man who meticulously painted a pool and then ruined it because he was just upset and distraught. And so this idea that he made a mistake doing something that involved taking a box and putting it someplace else and checking it off on a clipboard, that doesn't make any sense to how we understand it. So this idea that he's at fault riles us up. Mm-hmm. In a way that feels immediately organic, even though we've had one scene of him doing this. But immediately, we're being told that he did it incorrectly this one time that resulted in this weird mix-up. And no one's interested in the truth of what it is. They're just interested in placating something. And I think that that's also one of the things that runs through this is Daniel's... Anything that Daniel engages in interpersonally to some degree feels like a placation whether it's trying to hang out with his brother or whether it's doing the kitchen or spending time with his mom all of it feels like things that he needs to do for someone else to make them feel okay
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and whether or not but this is something that he himself has done and has taken some degree of pride in, in the fact that he's like, I've got a paycheck. I'm doing well. And so far as I can do well. And I don't like being, he doesn't want to be questioned on this because he knows he didn't do anything wrong. And there's just some degree of like, there's a lot of power in that getting a paycheck type of mm-hmm. thing. And then having your quality of work, Questioned by someone without even hearing your side of well why don't we just cross-reference this and everyone's like no doesn't matter and it's just like that's not okay and that's not how humanity works which gets again to this like idea of how we need to interact with one another and how we can interact with
0: one another through playing cards or through doing art well and for Daniel it also ties into like you said certainty and he very powerfully can feels the lack of certainty in his life as regards Hannah and what happened the night that she died. And he is having increasingly a very difficult time handling, like accepting the fact that that will always be uncertain for him, or he at least... Right now, we believe that to be the case. He believes that to be the case. I think as viewers... We think there are ways that he could be more certain, but that'll play out over the course of the season. Um, but so, so then taking something that he knows is certain. It's like, no, I know that I did this correctly. And other, you know, the other people robbing him of that or saying that, no, no, it doesn't matter what you, the fact that you know this and you are, you can hold on to this as no, I know what happened. I know what I did. I know that this, that in this case they are wrong Um, It's such a a small thing in the span of his life, but it's people disregarding his, his certainty and his, his, what he has to say and what he knows happened. Um, And, and given the end of the episode and, you know, that, again, that conversation with, you know, the, for lack of a better word, the therapist, um, that that's what I was keying into with it as well. It's just. He nobody cares when he does know, but the thing everybody's obsessed on is something that, you know, that is most focused in on for him, understandably, is this thing that he can't know that, you know, he can't. even, so And so they, so they won't even let him keep the thing he should know that he does know. Does that make sense? No, that makes
1: complete sense. And I'm just sitting here, like listening to you, like map this out. And, like, going, like, yes in my head is, like, normally you see me nodding. And um, <clears throat> just going yes in my head as everything that you were saying about this thing of certainty is really potent. And, God, this, there's so much happening in this episode. And, like you said, we're just in the friggin' premiere.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, this is one of those shows that, I mean, it's not for everyone, but... If you haven't checked in out Rectify, if you haven't looked into Rectify and you're still listening, and you listen to this podcast, I'm confused anyways. But if do yourself a favor and at least give it a try because it's such a beautiful and emotional series, and it's got some of the best writing, direction, acting on TV. Um, in the past several years I was appreciating all the tweets going out there about how hey remember how Aiden Young's never gotten anything like nomination wise for for his amazing work on rectify I was like yeah people this is why he is always <laughs> like just winning everything yeah, and and the smorgasbord and uh, best of here on the podcast I uh, can't stop talking about how amazing his performance is and has been throughout the run of the show. Um, and I look forward to seeing the praises of the rest of the cast when they theoretically pop up next week. But it's just, it's, it's so good. It's it so is. much better than it has any right to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is basically all <coughs> I can muster up, apparently, because anything else just causes me to go into a coughing fit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Well, yeah. then... Uh, why don't we move on to our our next show, which would only, you know, I can't imagine this causing a, a coughing fit just because it's not interesting enough. Um, that's Pure Genius, which has pilot. Now, this is a show on CBS. It's a medical drama. And um, uh, it, it's, uh, Dolman Mulrooney is a doctor at a the hospital of the future. A tech bajillionaire decides he's going to build a hospital with all... They're going to pioneer new techniques and new technology. And um, we find out that that he has a degenerative neurological disease that no one knows about. So he's kind of hoping that they'll be able to find a cure for what ails him. Um, if that sounds familiar, that's because it's very, very similar to one, one of the the shows last year. Uh, do you remember what that one was called where he had the, 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 the twins... The one was sick, and like, Oh. was that one of the, was that one of the Frankenstein ones,
1: yes, but I don't remember the name of it, um, yeah. but it was on Fox. I don't remember the name of it because it went through five different it names. went through all of the
0: names, yeah, like, this it is was
1: mirror mirror then it was like the,
0: the Frankenstein, Frankenstein code? code yeah, something, something. Like that.
1: yeah it was it it was bad, whatever it was, yeah, this um, is
0: better yeah. than that. This is a just completely feasible um medical procedural with some interpersonal stuff. Uh, I, I like most of the cast that I recognize from other projects. Um, the very similarly to bull, the morality at the key, at the center of this, the, the implications of the technology, uh, are terrifying and they really don't want you to think about that. And they certainly, they they like hint at it slightly in one part of the, of the pilot, um, just so as to hand wave it away, but I really think CBS wants us to welcome our new robot overlords and just trust that they're not good they're gonna take all of your biological information, not really get your consent for anything that they do. and uh, you're gonna be so grateful and happy that you know and, and this none of your information is possibly gonna go into the get into the wrong hands. Like, they don't give this guy a choice before they give him a complete body scan.
1: I mean, it's, it's almost like CBS hasn't watched Person of Interest and realized, oh, right. Yeah.
0: Maybe there are completely legitimate reasons that you wouldn't want a sample of your DNA just taken from you without your knowledge or consent or your fingerprints or just anything. Um, Yeah, that was really distracting to me. But the rest of the episode I thought was fine. Um, And it was definitely better than I anticipated. But I was also very... I had low expectations for this one. Uh, do you remember this one at all? Yeah, sure. No,
1: um, I, I think fine is perfectly acceptable word for this show in that it's... For me, it's less aggressively offensive than the Bull premiere was. Yes, I agree um, with that. In a number... For a number of reasons, but...
0: It's not the, smarmy.
1: It's not... It's definitely not smarmy, but it... The show's undercurrent of... And I mentioned this in the fall preview, this this like weird business can save us if the government just got out of the way. So who the fuck needs the FDA Um, mentality of both the guy who's created the hospital, but also kind of of the show's approach of, look, we solved all of these problems um, type of thing without any government interference or having to worry about whether or not this was safe. Um, is kind of not great. There's a reason why we have the FDA, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so that kind of stuff is very weird, but I think the other thing, and I didn't mention this in the fall preview, is that Jason Katmiss works on this show, and it doesn't feel like it aligns with a lot of his stuff. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of the fact that maybe he just needed a paycheck this season.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um... The, you normally you think with Jason Kadams that like there Kadams there's gonna be a, a certain mode you know that where you go, yeah, this feels like a Katem show this doesn't feel like a Kadam show so i I don't know that's weird
1: yeah I, I mean he, like he created the show he's an executive producer on it but I mean the it just very much feels like he decided to do a medical procedural with a little bit of a twist but Even as someone who hasn't really engaged his shows very deeply, like, I'm not the biggest Friday Night Lights fan. I only, like, did a season in, like, the season two premiere, and that's been all I've done of Friday Night Lights. And I've watched, like, a smattering of parenthood. But the essential humanity of both of those shows comes through very, very clearly in a way that this show lacks in a number of ways, but tries to make up for by whatever the genius's name is, wanting to better himself, wanting to save himself by saving humanity. But I'm not sure that's a really good humanistic message.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... um. Hmm. It doesn't seem like it's interested in its message so much as it is in being a pretty standard medical procedural, um, which is not always what I... Again what I expect from Katims but we'll see I do you, do you plan to check back in on this one
1: um maybe I don't know like I kind of forgot it was even premiering this week but I also watched this in like September yeah. um, so I don't know I might maybe I like Dom Mulrooney a lot so. yeah
0: yeah he's good <laughs> yeah we'll see right now there's just too much TV for me to catch up on to to keep this in rotation um but if, if people like it let you know if, if it holds up or improves let us know and we will we are willing to this is certainly one i am willing to check back in on. i am definitely not checking back in on bull or a lot of the other ones but this one i could circle back to
1: yeah i think that would be fair um of the of the drama premieres that weren't like action-driven like designated survivor um this or lethal weapon or like the exorcist um and the exorcist has kind of found its footing a little bit um that this is something that is is strong enough from a premiere that it can probably grow Mm -hmm. the question just becomes whether or not it actually wants to
0: yeah yeah that's a yeah that's a good point and we'll have to just wait and hear from people about what happens with it um, talk about shows that have been that are growing uh, with each episode that's Queen sugar as far as I'm concerned I still loving it I'm a week behind I'll be caught up next week uh, what did you think of wherewithal
1: So um, wherewithal is good but it's also one of those contrived sort of episodes that um bottle episode right it's very much a bottle episode in that a tropical storm slash hurricane is approaching um and everyone descends upon um, Violet's house to wait out the storm and by everyone i mean everyone like the only person who is not there is hollywood's wife and she's still there in terms of spirit, because <laughs> Hollywood and Violet have to, like, deal with the fallout of the, um, the, um, the crawfish boil that ended the last, the, uh, the previous new episode. So, but, like, when I, I'm meaning everyone in terms of, like, Remy's there, and then, um, uh, Darla's there, too, which Violet is super thrilled about, um, as one might expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like I don't want to like dig too deeply since you haven't watched the episode but there's a lot of alright everyone's been thrown together in the house everyone's going to like hash start hashing things out with one another so Violet and Nova like kind of go at it Um, and then obviously Hollywood and Violet go at it and then there's just the tension between um, Ralph Angel Blue and Darla navigating the fact that they're essentially like being with their son together for the first time in God knows how long in a safe space and what that means for both of them. And also, but also what that means for Violet who is still technically Blue's legal guardian and will continue to be so for the foreseeable future because she's not willing to relinquish that and understandably so. So there's a lot of things going on in this episode in terms of personal relationships and everything. But again, because of the whole nature of the storm driving everyone to one place, there's a verisimilitude to that. But there's also just the contrivance of this is episode eight of a 10 episode series. I think it's 10. And we need to like push things forward towards a finale type of situation and it's not the subtlest of their episodes but it's still better than most things that i watched this week as well um so i'll be eager to hear your thoughts when you're caught up on the show and what you thought about this episode as well as next week's um but still it's still good it's still queen sugar um just
0: they needed to get this episode out of the way basically Okay. I think it's 13 in the first season, but um Okay,
1: well that's that's good then.
0: <laughs> yeah. But um I the, what I will say um about the m- more recent episodes, I uh like how they're handling most things, most storylines. Uh I feel like they could they should be much better at Charlie and Charlie's future love interest. Uh that's a bit uh inelegantly handled so far. Um, the, it just feels very obvious, those the interactions with those two characters. But I really appreciated that they gave us greater context for Darla um, and you know what the situation that led to Vi being made the legal guardian. Um, yeah. I think we needed to know that. And so I'm glad, again, like this show has done so many times, they give us the information we need to know when we need to know it. Um, and they don't feel like they need to dole out everything all at once. So I'm certainly looking forward to catching up with this week's episode and being able to talk with you about it next week. Um, But our next show, one we can talk about, and I know we're going to disagree on this one a little bit is great performances, Hamilton's America, because I, we've talked about it a little bit off air, but I fully acknowledge that this is not a particularly good documentary, but I just love Hamilton so much. I don't really care and I realize that makes me a bad TV critic. So, Noel, why is Hamilton's America not a particularly good episode of Great Performances?
1: Well, one, I will say it does not make you a bad TV critic. Okay. Um, I will say that it just makes you a human being who watches television and has a confluence of... Influences, gosh, I'm really sick and tired today when I'm saying confluences of influences. Ugh, See, I gross. enjoy
0: that, personally. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I,
1: I hated the repetition of that sound together. Um, so, anyway, so, I mean, that's influencing how you're receiving this. I don't have a strong as strong a connection to Hamilton as I think you do, um, or as strong a passion for the show. And so, watching this documentary, um, I was plagued with a very key question and we've kind of talked about this when we talked about like um resolute when we discussed like some of my like independent lens stuff and um american experience is that one of the key things that we've talked about with documentary is that they need a perspective that they need a thesis basically to drive themselves forward and to tell their story there is no thesis to this sh- the- to this hamilton documentary kate there isn't one there's <laughs> just it can't make up its mind if it wants to be about um miranda Ma- manuel miranda's life if it wants to be about his life and career if it wants to be about the staging of the show which it doesn't want to be because it can't really commit to this idea of what it takes take what it took to mount this program. There's no sense of the rehearsals, the casting process. Um, Then they were just like, well, no, we want to talk, we want to go through the show as the show progresses, talk to each of the actors about their historical character. And that's kind of what we're going to do. And we're going to weave it in with... Stuff footage from years ago when they were still writing the show. But we're not really going to pay any of that off. And then we're going to have Laura and George W. Bush show up for reasons that are still beyond me. And I don't understand what this documentary was trying to say to me about Hamilton. Other than you should go see Hamilton if you have $600. (laughs) Is what I got from this. And I liked some elements of it. Like... I like I told you off air like anything involving like Leslie Odom Jr. talking about Burr and them visiting that commerce museum I thought was really interesting and fascinating, but then I'd get to stuff like Chris Jackson talking about visiting Mount Vernon and visiting like Washington's slave quarters and talking about the complexities of George Washington as a historical figure and then talking about how Hamilton. Respects those complexities And then I immediately go No one calls out George Washington For having slaves in that show To my knowledge Nope they gonna, don't We're going to really rail on Thomas Jefferson for that And the the most that we're going to get from that Is Washington acknowledging that he is also A Virginian But we're not actually going to comment on it In any way Because we're going to continue to perpetuate This idea of Washington as the father, both uh, of a country, but also as a surrogate father for Hamilton himself. We're not going to complicate that in any way, shape, or form. But we're going to have Chris Jackson say that the show does that, even though it doesn't in any way. And so I'm not in... It just felt like a 90-minute commercial for Hamilton without, like, a perspective in any way. And that was deeply, deeply frustrating for me as I watched it.
0: Yeah. Well, and as someone... Who has already purchased her Hamilton tickets and can't get enough of it? The commercial was very effective. <laughs>
1: well, it's, it's it's effective after the fact. I mean, you you'd already bought your you'd already bought oh yeah your com- tickets. no, and I, mean, I already yeah. I wouldn't have even bought the soundtrack if it hadn't been ninety nine cents during the Grammys. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's just one of those things where our relationships to the the central property that's under. I'm using air quotes exploration here is um, drives our drives our reception. Cause I know that you acknowledge the fact that the show that this documentary basically has three different ideas of what it wants to be, but can't settle on any of those. So it decided to be all of those, but yet none of them in a satisfactory way, because frankly, I would have loved to seen a documentary that chronicled LMM's, progress through making this show, writing it, getting it produced, going through rehearsals, the whole creative process of making this show, I think would have been really interesting and very fascinating. And
0: there's none of that in this documentary whatsoever. Nope. There really isn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I think the stuff that was the most interesting to me was the stuff with the actors talking about trying to identify with and explore their characters, especially just because that context of here are people of color playing white slave owners. And wow. and what does that mean to them? How do you play that character? Like, Leslie Jr. talks a bit about, I know that he was leery at first of the role of Aaron Burr because he's like, how is this going to be an interesting character? He's just going to be, he's like, he's the bad guy. That's not, I'm not, he wasn't interested in just playing the bad guy. Um, but then he was won over by the complexity that is given the motivation for Burr. Um, and so I think that is the most interesting part of this. I mean, I can also say that because I already knew all the history that they talk about. I think if you don't know anything about Alexander Hamilton, you just kind of know that this show has been like a buzzword, especially on like TV shows. And like, even back to Limitless, <laughs> Brian's parents wanting tickets to Hamilton. He's like, I can't do that. Um so so if you if you'd only kind of heard buzz about the show but don't know anything about it or anything about the historical stuff, I feel feel like this could have been a decent primer yes. on that, but that's not me and that's not you. Um so yeah, for me it's just like an opportunity to spend time with the creative people behind Hamilton who I enjoy and I have also enjoyed in their ham for hams and their like other various social media exploits. Um so yeah, I'm just fully aware. I'm not being discerning at all. I am not looking at this with a critical lens at all. I watched it at like I was exhausted after a day of touristing in um, D.C. and very skeptically eyeing cherry blossoms. Well, there weren't any blossoms left, but you know what I mean. Um, and I was exhausted, and I was like, "Oh, there's the Hamilton thing. Ah, I will watch that as I fall asleep." Oh, it's two hours. I'm still going to watch it as I go to sleep. (laughs) Um, So, and I just, you know, in that context, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, can, could I like legitimately recommend it to people who don't have, who aren't already interested in the subject matter? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, no, I I would struggle to recommend this to anyone beyond. If someone asked me, what's Hamilton? I would have been like, well, you can watch this thing; it'll give away everything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, as Odom uh, mentions, it's just like we're not trying to hide the fact that Hamilton dies at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good decision. They're figuring um, if you
0: know anything about Alexander Hamilton, you'll know that he's on the ten dollar bill, and he got and he died in a duel.
1: <laughs> right. Like, um. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this wasn't particularly good, but um, I would also. Very quickly just mentioned that it was Slightly better than like the Norman Lear Documentary that was part of um, American Masters that uh, PBS Aired this week and that was just Bad like I'm not going to get into why it was Bad but it was just aggressively bad Um, and I would not recommend the Norman Lear documentary for anyone who has a passing interest in Norman Lear. I would just recommend watching some Norman Lear TV shows instead.
0: One of these days, someone will pick one for the DVD shelf, but they've never come up. And I don't, like, I'm a little puzzled as to why, because I would love to talk about some of his shows on the DVD shelf. One of these days, one of these days. Um, well, let's move on then to our weekend genre, which there's... A number of various, you know, especially the superhero shows we could talk about, but we're just going to keep this to uh, The Flash and Supergirl. And The Flash, we're pretty much going to keep to, uh, so how about Tom Cavanaugh? And I uh, just, I I am with Harry. I don't, I implicitly don't like, I mean, just rankled by um, HR. He's just like, his name is Harrison Wells. Why does he go by HR? Because it's Harry. Yeah, no <laughs>
1: it's the license plate version of harry no no i know i know um <laughs> <coughs> i'm intrigued by what hr will do and bring and just the fact that i think the show is acknowledged through this that they need a, a harrison wells but b and more importantly they need tom cavanaugh
0: they need tom cavanaugh um, yeah and i think that's
1: a really significant thing that they're trying to figure out ways to also make sure that Tom Cavanaugh doesn't get bored, though I don't see how he could get bored because he's got such a great cast of people to play off of each week um, that, that I don't think would happen, but I think that they're also just trying to find ways to keep their own show fresh, but I still enjoyed the other Wellses that we got to see, including Hell's Wells. And Cowboy <laughs> and Wells. Cowboy Wells and French Mime Wells and I think vaguely steampunky Wells. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed, like, getting to see Tom Cavanaugh kind of cut loose. Um, so we'll see what HR can bring. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's it's it was fun. It was fine. Um, I, the overall episode was just kind of fun, light type affair. I, I was frustrated. It kind of harkened back to, like, a lot of season one's Villains, Where you guys got a really great Two actually really good Flash villains And then there's not a whole lot to them And that makes me really disappointed Because Mirror Master is like my favorite Flash villain After, well, this version of Captain Cold And you guys just didn't do anything with him And it also didn't help that I kept confusing This actor on Flash with the guy Who wears the suits on How to Get Away with Murder Because they (laughs) looked exactly the same to me and I just kept confusing them. Um, but it was a it was a fine episode. But it's basically just Tom Cavanaugh's show.
0: Yeah, and I and I was seeing um some people talking on Twitter about how Legends of Tomorrow was out I, like o- overshadowed Flash this week with their like their Fuel Japan episode. But I'm sorry, this week it was all about Supergirl for me because Linda Carter is there as president. Of, uh, I don't remember her name, but as the president, the episode was "Welcome to Earth," and we had Wonder, we had Supergirl spinning around like Wonder Woman. We had references Yay! to the Invisible Jet. Uh, my little geek heart went pitter pat. Uh, we also had lovely, um, not even like hidden jabs at Trump, who even voted for the other guy. Uh, God, it was it's so wonderful. On the nose yeah i don't <laughs> care girl power we had them introduce um maggie sawyer. like yeah maggie sawyer but the um the the supergirl equivalent of of lauren's bar <laughs> of caritas from angel which i was oh, like right. yes this is i mean i wish it was Karatas, and we just we had some karaoke going even if you know r.i.p andy hallett uh, so obviously you couldn't have a random, you know, Lauren randomly show up. But um, I, I just I like the idea of that. And I don't know. I just there was a lot of fun in this episode for me.
1: No, and fun's, fun's a really good word. But it's also really and I mean, we're joking about like how unsubtle it was with the politics of it. But I mean, in the same way that Jane the Virgin was being bold and celebrated for understating zoe's decision in a number of ways that supergirl being really aggressively on the nose and not at all subtle with the fact that they're just like no we're gonna do an episode that's pro-immigration and pro-amnesty fuck y'all
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're going to have our president be in awesome clothes that don't at all resemble pantsuits <laughs> yeah. um we're gonna have her be an alien um But Mm -hmm. um, none of that matters because it's Linda Carter, so you guys are just going to lap it up anyway. And we are, because it's Linda Carter. Um, (laughs) That I really appreciated the fact that, I mean, the show was just very aggressive about presenting a political thought process through the show that is still deeply embedded in the show, but also serves as... A nice like balance to the larger things like with uh, Jean's concerns with how what what the role of the DEO is Mm -hmm. and his more we'll call pragmatic um, approach to not every alien needs to be welcomed here because they're not all good. And where that falls on a spectrum of what the president's actual agenda is in doing this because she's. An alien and but how it reconciles with his own experience with both Clark and with Kara and also with this um democ I've already forgotten Democrian Larg the guy, the guy who's going to be, like, the other guy who is Superboy in the comics, but isn't Superboy, but yeah, is I basically don't, Superboy. Yeah, I don't remember um, the
0: name of the planet, so it's the D, that's all I remember. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I had it in my brain, and now I can't remember it. But the the new pretty guy for a car to interact with. Um, that it's all just, it's all very good. And it even gets to, like, some of the other stuff with um, Maggie Sawyer, who's a character from the comics. Uh, being very open about A, being super into aliens and B, being into women and the fact that there, we're not going to beat around the bush with this except for the fact that maybe Alex is into her maybe we'll see Alex being put a potential candidate for the ball promised well we were going to do a gay character last season but we didn't have the narrative real estate so we're going to do it this season and everyone's basically been like, well, it's going to be Alex or it's going to be Kara. It's not
0: going to be Kara. It's going to be Alex.
1: DC's not going to let them do that, basically, yeah. is what it is. Even though I am st- kind of shipping Lena and um, Kara just a little bit, just, because, uh, just for the sake of it. But no, it's mm-hmm. going to be Alex. Um, <clears throat> but no, it's just a very good, but not at all subtle episode about immigration and how do you know if someone's bad how do you know if someone's an alien with that weird little doodad that she's going to monetize to find this out and this idea of safety and everything and it's all just it's it's really well executed in a very fun episode that had again a wonder woman twist or a wonder wonder woman twirl and a woman throwing fireballs and i'm That's kind of all you need from political allegories. sometimes. It's just a woman throwing fireballs and Supergirl twirling around like she's Wonder Woman from the 1970s.
0: Yeah, sometimes, (laughs) especially in this current political climate and the kind of conversations that we somehow are finding ourselves having at, you know, presidential debates and with the various campaigns that are going on right now, uh for both for federal but also local and state governments sometimes subtlety is overrated, and it's it's almost refreshing to have such an unsubtle like it's like like with hamilton the the immigrants we get the job done line from Hamilton, which right. they made sure they included in the tonys uh the tony um tony Ward's like performance um I think sometimes we need some just straight up, not subtle, in case you've forgotten, and a bunch of y'all seem to have forgotten, we are a country of immigrants. Uh, are you Native American? Are you of, uh, you know, an, of Native people descent? I, I, I'm American Indian. I'm going to get, I please send angry letters. I use the wrong terminology, I'm sure. Let me know so I can not screw that up in the future. But If you're not, then shut your face because you're descended from immigrants. So immigration and immigrants built this country. And we're going to make the very strong argument for that. It's lovely to see that because there's plenty of not there's plenty of not subtle arguments on the other side of that discussion. So it's nice to see a not subtle argument on the pro side of immigration and immigrants. So, uh, yeah, if, if anything, it was what refreshing to me to, to not have the show beat around the bush. Um, yeah, it was fun. And, and again, that's for Supergirl that, that enthusiasm, that energy and that joy is what I go to the show for. So I think that they are continuing to deliver, um, the season and yeah, I I really appreciate all of the shows. Uh, Arrow, not so much. But the other shows really embracing the humor and campier elements of the show. And I think it's made each of them stronger. No.
1: And I think that that idea of enthusiasm is really important. Because, like, while I was watching this episode, I was just... (sighs) Melissa Benoist, Kate. Melissa Benoist. And her ability to express Kara's overwhelming excitement at meeting the president. Yeah. Yeah is just so charming and wonderful. And then her standing next to a little girl holding up a sign for the president and just, like, shooting the breeze and being super casual about it and then being like, I'm also really excited about this. It's just mm-hmm. so great. And I will never get tired of this show allowing Supergirl to interact with little girls on screen.
0: Yeah. I'll never get tired of it.
1: I can, I just want an entire episode where she just visits like girl scouts. And I just want to see them.
0: that Ikea episode of her helping the family put together the, the, the furniture that they mentioned last yes. season.
1: Yes. <laughs> I need that. I, I just want that episode.
0: Yeah. I would totally watch that. Well, what wins your week in genre reality and drama? Just a few, like, you know, Supergirl or rectify slightly different tones there, but let's be honest is rectify, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much rectify. It's obviously rectify. Um, Again, if you aren't watching Rectify for some reason, at least give it a shot. Try it out. It's an amazing show. Um, but now if you show notes here at the end of our Week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us. We love getting emails. Uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also like, us on, uh, like our page on Facebook, start a conversation there, or reach out and leave a rating or review in iTunes we have an M4A chaptered feed an MP3 unchaptered feed and of course we're also up in Stitcher where you can rate and review us as well and then we're both on Twitter I am at the Televerse and Noel you are at Noel RK and of course your writing can be found at
1: Oh, right. My writing can be found at uh, TVGuide.com. And again, Kate, it was really nice to host this podcast with you for just under <laughs> a year. Um, everyone look forward to, I'm assuming, Emily Stevens guest co-hosting um, as part of her takeover plot. To take I've already told you,
0: you're not allowed to leave. That's just, <laughs> it's not how it works. It's too late. It's too late now, Noel. Don't, don't, don't taunt the audience. Don't tease the audience. You'll be back next week. I will be back next week. Phew. <laughs> okay. Um, now uh, we will take a quick break and be back with Samantha Nelson of the AV Club and the Critical Hits podcast uh, to talk young justice and more superhero goodness. We'll be right back after this.
2: This cave was the original secret sanctuary of the Justice League. We're calling it into service again. Since you four are determined to stay together and fight the good fight, you'll do it on League terms. Red
3: Tornado volunteered to live here and be your supervisor. Black Canary's in charge of training.
2: I will deploy you on missions. Real missions? Yes, but covert. The League will still handle the obvious stuff. There's a reason we have these big targets on our chests. But Cadmus proves the bad guys are getting smarter. Batman needs a team that can operate on the sly. The five of you will be that team. Cool. Wait, five? This is the Martian man niece, Miss Martian. Hi. Liking this gig more every minute. Uh, welcome aboard. I'm Kid Flash. That's Robin. Aqualad. It's cool if you forget their names. I'm honored to be included. Hey,
3: Superboy. Come meet Miss M.
2: Can the Light afford to leave Guardian in charge without the genomes? We have subtle means of control. What concerns me is the children. We now know the League is willing to employ young heroes to do their dirty work. That's a dark twist. Yes. But one that can be played to our advantage. Even the temporary loss of the weapon may prove useful. Eventually... Everyone sees the light.
0: Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, and this week on the DVD shelf, we are just filling in gaps left and right in my superhero animation. Uh, just I guess the, the all the gaps <laughs> that I have in my TV viewing around superhero animation. Because this week we're talking Young Justice, uh, and I'm super excited that we're talking about it. And here to help us with the show is AV Club contrib- contributor, and of course from the Critical Hit podcast, Samantha Nelson. Samantha, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I was so excited when you wanted to talk about Young Justice because, of course, as you're aware, as listeners are aware, we uh, we've done Justice League. We've recently done Justice League Unlimited. Um, Previously, I'd done Batman animated series, but um, it's just there's been quite a bit of of uh, superhero animation on the DVD shelf. Um, At least that's what it feels like recently. And and with so much superhero TV that I'm watching now, seeing as it's like taken over the CW, uh, I'm very glad to be filling in some some gaps. Um, So uh, it was I was very excited to dive in with this. What made you want to talk about Young Justice?
3: Um, You know, I honestly think that for a show about teenagers, Young Justice is one of the most mature superhero shows I've ever seen. Uh, It just really has so much depth to its characters, and it's also remarkably uh, serialized in that it's got, you know, really good plot consistency and development over the course of the series, uh, as opposed to just your kind of standard Monster of the Week thing that you might... Or even the... uh, two or three-parters you would get with uh, Justice League that only very loosely uh, connect to a larger theme. This one really had a story I wanted to tell, and I thought did it really well.
0: Yeah, the, the I was really struck by that when I was watching, and it's something that Noel had mentioned um, previously, because, of course, Noel, you're already familiar with this show. I had never seen any of it, um, but yeah... It, it is. It's very dense and very serialized in its structure. And while, especially in the first season, there's more uh, seemingly standalone episodes. They really do make sure that they tie everything together by the end of of the like as we get into the the end of the first season and um, and then moving on from there. There there's threads throughout. And and, and I think they you know watching the the half hour animated superhero show sort of. Uh, develop and shift over time through these different, you know, from Batman animated series and justice league and, and some of the other ones that I've seen. And and then to young justice, which of course premiered in 2010. Um, It's, it's really interesting to watch that and see how that affects the storytelling structure and really mimics just the overall trend in much more serialized entertainment.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny because as you said, even the ones that seem like they could be really easy standalone episodes, that this, don't do that. Like the, um, oh, I'm now blanking on the name of the episode, but the one where it's all a dream caused by Martian Manhunter and uh, uh, Miss Martian having this like weird training exercise where the entire Justice League dies. um, That seems like it could just be like a really classic uh, standalone episode and like maybe just have a hint about how powerful Miss Martian is. And then they devote the entire next episode. Well, with some exceptions, but primarily to therapy about how traumatic the previous episode was which I just found to be awesome and really indicative of the series
0: yeah is that uh Noel one of the elements of the series that that really stands out to you or what what uh you know what was your relationship with Young Justice uh before sitting back to to re-watch it for this Right. Um,
1: I think the best way to describe my relationship to Young Justice is through someone else. Um, I was reviewing Young Justice pretty consistently throughout its entire run. And when I was doing it over at tv.com during season two, a commenter basically said, reading your reviews and reading Oliver Sava's reviews over at TV Club is like black and white. Um, mainly because I was not a big fan of the show, of what the show was doing, especially in season two. Um um and so i was much more frustrated with it than oliver was in his reviews and so i kind of struggled with the show in a number of ways just from it took for me it took a while for the show to really kind of find its footing basically like i think i started really liking the show around episode 12 of season one which is when artemis and robin have to basically fight off the two red robots that have invaded the cave And from that point on, for me, the show became much more character-driven and more interesting. And then in season two, I just got deeply frustrated by how the character stuff seemed to kind of fall by the wayside to just keep doing character stuff that drove the larger light narrative forward, which I just never found very compelling. Um, but watching it again, um, I liked season one as a whole much more than I did like the first time through, but I still just kind of struggled with what the, with what a large part of like some of the. Um, more arc based stuff of like what the light and the reach were trying to achieve by using one another never really made sense to me. And even after watching it again, all at once, as opposed to having basically seven episodes, then a three month gap and then two episodes. And then another three month gap because Cartoon (laughs) Network hated the show for some reason um, is that I never really got a firm handle on what they were trying to do on an arc level. And I just, i still kind of struggled with it but i liked it more the second time around for season two but still just i always wanted episodes that were very much devoted to the whole psychological character toll of having to be undercover for five years and we never really got there with that and i was always really kind of frustrated with it because that was just a really interesting question for me the show never really kind of Dug deep on, and it's just like, but I really want to know how hard this is for Aqualad. And it's just like, nah, Calder's fine. He feels bad, but he's fine. And I feel like that's stuff that would have gotten answered in season three based on the fact that Wally died um, or appeared to die or got disintegrated into the Speed Force or whatever happened to Wally. Um, So, yeah, I I have just, I think, a very complicated kind of relationship with the show that got better after a rewatch, which uh, we kind of discussed on Twitter a little bit, is that this is a show that rewards either watching it all at once or watching it again so that you can see, as Samantha said, how the show structures itself to start paying off threads that you think are kind of standalone, but in fact keep recurring and keep coming back in really productive ways.
0: That's interesting, because um, for for me coming into it, granted, I didn't have that conflict of the the constant gaps uh, with no warning. Um, so I was actually, and maybe I just came in with with lowered expectations, but I was uh, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by how much uh there really was especially in that first season looking into these characters. I initially I had a, a somewhat uh like, like lukewarm response cuz it felt too much like they were trying to one for one the entire Justice League with the show with the with who was on the team and everything. But I appreciated when they started branching out and adding more characters when they started adding more female coded characters particularly and they stopped defining all of them men or boys whatever on the team by talking about miss martian being hot I uh, appreciated when that started like going away um but what i then started to key into was the 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 effort they, they were clearly making to contrast and comment on the justice league via their counterparts or their their so their, their um uh their their sidekicks or whatever. So you have Superboy who's the clear super Superman analog but he's got anger issues and he's moody and kind of difficult. And then you have um you have Robin who is the Batman, you know, sidekick but he's just kind of like impetuous and grumpy in a way that and that that Batman tends not to be and I don't know. I was. I started to really. But um... then he.
1: Be, but then he becomes a dick like Batman by keeping secrets he, from. He does. Every... He does. <laughs> he does.
0: But yeah,
3: but- I, I mean, what one of the things I love the most um, on the show actually is the relationship between Connor and Superman, and kind of how bad it makes Superman look that he's like, "Yeah, I didn't want a kid, I didn't want a clone kid, I didn't want whatever this is. Leave me alone." <laughs> um, and like how that's just this incredible source of angst for for uh, for Connor, and then especially when Lex Luthor comes in, is like, "Actually, you have two dads, and I'm your other dad, and I'm going to be the cool dad that gives you." kryptonian steroids to make you more powerful uh that just produces this whole crazy dynamic that's just a view of superman that i've never really seen before
0: you realize yeah. that you've created the my two dads trailer in my head now with superman <laughs> and lex Luthor, and i love it nice
3: glad, <laughs> happy to And then, yeah, I mean, there's so many kind of, like, parent and authority issues in this show, which I find really interesting. Like, uh, again, in that therapy episode right after, um, when uh, Robin goes on his whole rant about how he actually doesn't want to be the Batman because he's not willing to sacrifice his entire life the way Batman does. And then there's, like, I I really love what they do with uh, Captain Marvel because he's like, oh, no, hanging out with you guys is the best. Because you're all basically mentally on my level in a way that the actual Justice League isn't. The the episode where he wants to go to the Halloween party with them oh, and gosh. he's <laughs> so devastated. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna go trick or treating," and it's great because he actually is.
1: No, it's really good. And also, like the other thing I just love about Captain Marvel as like a characterization because he's just this big kid. Is that Roblo and Chadlow like handed off voicing him? And it's just really good voice work from both of them as Captain Marvel, because you really buy into the kind of superheroic guy who's actually just a ten year old kid who just keeps skipping class to go hang out with these teenagers.
3: And I just love how he like dotes on Wally when he's got like, the broken arm um, and he's like wanting to hang out with that tiger. Also my other thing about like it's it's so funny because on first watch, I would say, Miss Martian was my favorite character, mostly because of her whole her crazy secret baggage. But on second watch, Connor is uh, just his the fact that he collects pets is just so adorable to me.
0: I really I got to say, I was so excited when Aqualad was made like or re- stepped forward as the team captain or emerged, I should say, as as the team captain, because you just you're so used to being around. I mean, I'm not a comics person. I, I cannot claim any sort of cred in that realm. But being around superhero TV and and movies and see, having seen more, much more Justice League and everything, Aquaman just still like he remains a joke. You know, sure. pretty much. And so I really appreciated that they they went out of their way to make Aqualad awesome and and uh so so i actually ended up really enjoying him so much more than i expected uh and also just to see a slightly different dynamic on the team than what you kind of expect based on the like, the batman superman dominance of you know and and maybe martian manhunter of of sure. justice league you know every now and again. like they're all awesome don't get me wrong you know we all know in the televerse how much i love wonder woman and her role in, in hawkgirl too and, and justice league but i was really glad to see just a very different um you know like much more of an effort put into yeah we're going to give him water weapons and electricity and this and this and this it seemed like a a real active effort to differentiate uh, or to to ver to like really make him a very important and uh helpful member of the team
3: yeah i know i absolutely agree i think the uh the fact that robin assumes that he's going to be the leader and then everyone realizes (laughs) no you're you're terrible at this like you and even when uh when then aqualad feels like he's you know made a mistake or like when the team can't trust him because he was withholding information he's like oh uh i could turn it over to robin but that sounds like a terrible idea i guess i still have to be leader (laughs)
1: no i love um kaldor um a lot and like he's an original creation for the show um in that they wanted someone different than like garth who's typically aqualad who we meet later on um and And just
0: because garth i can't not go to wayne's world (laughs) with the name (laughs) garth so i'm very glad right (laughs) Right. and so but
1: i the other thing when we're like talking parallels is like he has to assume like this mantle of command and everything and in a way that kind of mirrors like some of aquaman's own like anxieties about being the ruler of Atlantis and that sort of thing that is is more from the comics that doesn't get expressed here but it's one of those nice like connections like you one-to-one type of things that you were talking about but this one isn't like explicitly expressed within the confines of the show but it's more something that if you're kind of passingly familiar with Aquaman beyond his representation like the Super Friends franchise um you know that there's this kind of weight of being the ruler of Atlantis that kind of follows him and he carries with him and that kind of comes through with what Calder deals with throughout the run of the show and the sacrifices he has to make like with Tula and everything to continue to lead the team and do this part of his life. And I think that's I think that's a really good representation, but it's also just really important that they made this very leadership based, very complex young black teenager to basically lead this team. And that was really significant because prior to like Static Shock, um he was It was basically just him and Static Shock and black superheroes and animation until like Jon Stewart also on Justice League. It was it's basically just still the three of them. And I think that was just really great that the show did that and made a conscious effort to make sure that Calder was basically like the leader of the team. And I thought that was great.
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I really liked the uh episode downtime where he, he goes back to Atlantis and is kind of looking at what he's leaving behind right. and that the world moves on without him while he's off leading this team. And it's just a really also interesting thing because for the most part, I mean Miss Martian and Connor are aside because they don't have real lives effectively. <laughs> but like, uh, but like, you know, you're most your most of your teen your Teenage or adult, superhero stories are about like keeping the secret. And it's like, well, no, everyone at Atlantis knows who I am and what I do, but the world still moves on without me while I'm doing superhero stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that uh, that that discussion that comes up every now and again of the other and of um, you know being alone. I mean, it's it's such a th- thread through anything that has Superman or Martian Manhunter. Um, or, you know, even in live action right now in Supergirl, they've been playing with that thread a lot. So it's it's nice to see that, you know, not just be something that is dealt with, again, by Superboy or by Mar- uh, Miss Martian. So that, again, having more more outsiders rather than just the one, which a lot of superhero teams tend to have. It's, it's nice that you get you get more of that here um, and. Speaking of, I'm curious what you guys think of this was with, with Superboy because we there's a lot of clones on this show. How do you feel <laughs> about because we got Superboy, but there's also uh, Speedy, uh, or mm-hmm. Roy, and and then there's another Superboy, and there's there's a lot of clones happening. Um, did did that work for you guys, or you know, was that a bridge too far uh, when they brought that back, or or like even or even when they bring in? Um, they, they they bring in Bart Allen from the future, and so you have Flash and Kid Flash and uh, what's his what's his name again? Inferno. So impulse. Or, impulse. Uh, impulse. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Bart, yeah. Yeah. Did did the show ever go like go back to one of these wells of too many times for you guys, or did you just go with it?
3: I mean, I still like the Flash, and they basically just do that all the time. So, um, I don't know. I kind of liked the multiple clones because it meant that they were calling back. They, I, I think the Cadmus plot was cool. Uh, I think that the kind of uh, things they seeded there, such as uh, Connor being kind of telepathically receptive, which, which makes a, a special element to his relationship with uh, Miss Martian pretty interesting. So, I, I didn't really have any problem with the uh, arsenal speedy, fake speedy thing.
1: No, um, as someone who um, suffered through reading the Clone Saga and the Spider-Man comic books as it was happening, <laughs> um, there is no such thing as um, too many clones at this point until you've hit Clone Saga levels. So, no, I was okay with it, and I liked how it, like, fed into this idea of, like, the light, but particularly Luther wanting his own, like, human army, basically, and how they were trying to figure out a way to do that. So I never really had an issue with that. I kind of got tired of all the flashes, um, if only because every time all the flashes showed up, All the problems were solved by running in a circle really fast. Which is how The Flash solves all of his problems anyway. But they do it twice in Season 2 with um, Nugatron or Megatron or whatever the nuclear guy is. That And then they do it again with the um, Reach's like EMP weird device planet shatter in the series finale. it's just like, but you guys just did this like eight episodes ago i know
3: <laughs> yeah that's why my my favorite flash episode of the show is definitely cold-hearted because i just yeah. really like his uh while well, he's just indignant about being given what he thinks is like the, like, the unimportant mission and where it's like no this mission is all that matters and him be- being forced to realize that
1: yeah that no that episode is actually really good plus we get vandal savage like as a force within that episode. yeah
3: getting into like a fist fight which is awesome yeah. Can
0: we talk about Vandal Savage a bit and how watching, uh, watching you know the Justice League, Justice League, uh, Unlimited, but especially watching Young Justice here just makes me really even more scoff at the. Horrendous wasting of of that character in season one of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh,
3: God! It's right? so tragic. It's so <laughs> tragic. And the, but the thing is that this show makes um. I mean, sometimes they don't. They can't stick the landing. Like, I'm sorry, but you will never make the brain cool. Uh, <laughs> no, you won't, but, ever. But but the show manages to make Sportsmaster cool and scary, which is yeah. amazing because that character is lame. Um and so yeah and they do a great job with their their big bads with uh with Vandal Savage and with Luther.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that and just like I was actually talking about this with um someone I may no I actually tweeted about it it was just like while I was rewatching Young Justice I just went it's still really odd to me that Arrow has not done Sportsmaster in some way because he feels like the perfect kind of villain for the show right now but then I realized he just kind of feels like As Young Justice kind of alludes to, he feels very much like a Deathstroke clone, (laughs) and it's just like, that's probably why they haven't done it, but at the same time, it's just like, he's, in my mind, he's still kind of like the perfect type of villain for Arrow, even if now you get the Casey Jones comparison, which Arrow actually made a joke of, like, a couple weeks ago with, uh, Wild Dog, but still, I mean, he just feels like kind of the perfect character, but he is, in fact, quite scary here, he's actually much scarier than Deathstroke is, in no small part, because they do the ponytail Deathstroke, which is, Never the best Deathstroke for me. I don't like Slade Wilson with a ponytail as badass as a white ponytail looks. It's just never worked with me for the mask and the aesthetic and everything. But no, Deathstroke, the entire Artemis family for me was actually like my favorite storyline in the show. In part because Artemis is like after Caldor, like my favorite character in the show. So I was always really invested in like the ins and outs of her relationship and with her family, with Cheshire especially, like that that was just a really well written but be really well acted by both of the voice actors like they both really tapped into something really special and really particular with that and that that storyline more than anything else the show did really hooked me
3: well one thing that i just loved about the show is something that uh they got around something that frustrates me endlessly in so many shows which is many characters uh at some point are blackmailed and they say you know what? I'm just going to go tell my friends and we're going to deal with this together. And I just, there's so many shows where I'm like, I wish, you know, I, I felt that way in season two of the flash and like, eventually we got there, but I was just like, I wish you would just get out from under this and like, let everyone discuss this. And then we could move forward because all this concealed information is not doing anyone any favors.
0: Yeah. Well, and there were, there are a few different things like that. Um, for, for me, the one that I wish the the show had done, uh, well, I guess they did it really well, just not maybe as much. I liked it when we got when we got to the series finale, and they're like, "No more faking deaths, please," <laughs> because it happens so much on the show. We're like, "Aha!" But I'm not really dead. I just wanted to play this hologram to distract you while I did nothing. Like, <laughs> th- th- there's so many death fakings, um, uh, like. And, I didn't watch. I wasn't able to watch all of these. I watched a, a number, a lot of a lot of these episodes, but I can think of at least three or four faked deaths on this show. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's. Part and par- it's like part, just part of like comic books of faking the death. It just gets sped up in a very deeply serialized story, where it's like week to week as opposed to month to month, where you kind of forget someone died a year ago. Yeah, but it's only been like two weeks in the story world of the comic book, mm-hmm. um, or a gazillion years depending on how loose they're playing with continuity. Um, but yeah, it it happens too much too quickly within this, which is why like I made that joke about the fact that while he's probably not dead if season three had happened, he probably just got sucked into the Speed Force. (laughs) And then they just went in and found him That's like, Bart just so consumed with guilt, like, tapped into the Speed Force and found him and saved him. And they brought him back because, as we all know from Justice League um, and Justice League Unlimited, and even, like, the Flash is the single most important person in the DC universe. And so you can't not let a member of Team Flash die like that without the entire universe
0: crumbling. Yep he's always the glue He's always the glue well do you guys have any other uh favorite characters or episodes or, or arcs you wanted to mention i mean I, I, it's to the show's tremendous credit that i was digging the light as long as i was because they are the uh guild of calamitous intent from oh, Adventure <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brothers. it's
3: fantastic it even so looks like that it's so bad um, although I really liked the um, the Injustice League with their Legion of Doom headquarters, um, yeah, was, and particularly Brent Spiner's uh, Joker, who was, seemed to be having a really good time with that. Um, but but uh, one character that I really loved that I thought was done super well on the show was uh, Doctor Fate, um, because it's just a kind of different portrayal that I've seen of him, where it's just like he's this. Uh, not a guy, but just like this helmet that possesses whoever is wearing it at the time. And just, I think they, again, use it in serialized fashion very well, where, uh, the heroes kind of get to use that helmet as a get out of jail free card twice. And then they try it a third time. And it's like, no, now there are consequences.
1: When they used it the second time, I just kind of sighed and just went, how many times are you guys going to use this as a power up? And then the third episode happens. And it's just like no more times. And I just went, no. Oh. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Love
3: uh, when fate is uh, sitting at the Justice League table, and it's like, why is he even here? It's like, oh, the star wanted me to be here so that you guys can monitor me because he doesn't trust me. It's like, great, that's that's wonderful.
1: <laughs> well, the other thing about the Justice League table is Wonder Woman being like, we could probably use more women on the team, and it's just, just like, yes, you could, and it's it's very very funny. Um, I think the only other character I kind of want to mention, and this is just like a very one note character, but basically was sort of like the saving grace for me in a lot of season two places, is the Reach's female scientist I love to death. Um, Because she keeps yelling and being angry at the the, uh, ambassador um, alien and just keeps snarkily telling him, I told you so, I wanted to do this, but you wanted to do this, and now we're in trouble. And it's just so passive-aggressively terrible to one another that I just – it was basically the only thing about the Reach plot that I actually really liked was the fact that this woman was just constantly frustrated by all the men around her not listening to her, and she's right the entire time. And it's just like they – end up all dying except for her i think yeah and it's it's great and you should have listened to the lady scientist guys always listen to the lady scientist
3: yeah, I was pretty tepid on most of the Reach plot, and for the most part, most of season two. Most of the new characters that were introduced just did nothing for me. I mean, I I love, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the show, Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, oh, where yeah. Blue Beetle is the main character. And I just think his portrayal on that show is just so much more fun than it is here.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, yeah, I, I, that's about all I can say, is that it's definitely much better here than it is on uh, Brave and the Bold.
0: I appreciated the impulse to include um some some more kids because especially with the ti- the five-year time jump they got away from it being young justice um so they when they when they put back uh throw back in the uh, the Cadmus like teens or whatever I appreciated that impulse and them wanting the and to be a group of diverse teens so not just a bunch of white kids it's, I appreciate that I I don't think I needed the the attempts at slang and accent work, given those were kind of painful uh, for, for for me. Did not feel organic at all. Um, but I could appreciate what they were going for there.
3: Yeah, and I also um, was not... Wild. I just cannot believe that both... DC and Marvel thought a woman who sh- whose superpower is shrinking and fi- firing tiny lasers is a really good idea. So that's just one of those characters that like I appreciated that they wanted to put like more women and more people of color, but she did absolutely nothing for me.
0: <laughs> See, I was enjoying her. Uh, but but I, I did wonder for far too long, because I, I think I missed the first episode she was introduced in, I was like, "Oh, is that supposed to be wasp? No, yeah. it's not. No, it's bumblebee. It's, it's different. Bumblebee, it's diff- very different. Different yeah. uh, universe that that one's on me." Um, <laughs> well, do we have any final thoughts about Young Justice? Where do you guys rate this in the canon of uh DC animated universe? Ooh,
3: that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I I think Justice League is probably and if you count Justice League unlimited as part of that, my favorite Um, and I would honestly call this probably my second favorite because I, you know, Batman in the animated series is amazing, but part, like if you watch it uh, late into the game, it starts getting pretty weird and pretty samey. Um, whereas maybe it's because of this had a pretty short run. Uh, this doesn't do it as much. And I just really like the serialization.
1: Fair enough, Noel. Yeah, um, it's definitely, like, below um, Batman and uh, Justice League, uh, particularly Justice League Unlimited for me. Um, But I think in the long term, like, it ends up being fairly high on the list. I'd have to think more about it. Um, I'm not sure if I'd, like, put it, like, above Batman Beyond, which I really like. But oh, yeah,
3: no, that's a really good point about Batman Beyond. And now I'm also thinking about Green Lantern, the animated series. So, I don't know. Which I'm is...
1: Which is actually remarkably solid, considering that I don't like Green Lantern at all, but I actually (laughs) kind of like that show. Um, But it's, it's pretty good. I think, like, the biggest, like, direct comparison you can make between Young Justice is to Teen Titans, which is, I think, very, very good. But... It's also just funny because the Teen Titans comic book is much more tonally in line with what Young Justice is, and Young Justice as a comic book was much more aligned with what Teen Titans the show was. Um, so they just ended up flipping tones, which is weird. But I think I like Young ended up liking Young Justice more than I would have liked uh, than I liked Teen Titans, which I actually ended up like rewatching most of like a couple of years ago. Um, so I think I would put it above Teen Titans, but maybe just by like a couple of like notches.
0: Yeah, well, I ended up having a lot of fun with Young Justice, and I mean, I I anticipated that I'd have fun because you know, going back and and diving in more with the animated universe, DC animated universe has been um, has been fun and and been a pleasant surprise for me. But when, especially the for me, just the first few episodes started a little rocky with a lot of like. We're we're not just sidekicks, guys. They won't take us <laughs> seriously. Uh, there's just a lot of that, which makes sense. I'm like watching it being irritated, then but then reminding myself, Kate. But that is that is uh, that is very honest to how a lot of teenagers feel a lot of the time. Don't forget they have chemical warfare going on inside of their bodies. Uh, so so. It, for a show that starts out with so much of that um i think it really grew um and, and it certainly grew on me I, I, and i came to have a lot of fun with this show so i'm very glad to have watched it and i definitely know i would not have made time smith if you hadn't wanted to talk about it so thank you so much for coming on and talking young justice with us
3: thanks so much it was a uh, pleasure rewatching and uh, getting to talk so much about it
0: yeah where can i listeners find you in your work online
3: uh, so I can they can find me at uh, Samantha Nelson One on Twitter or on um, the AV Club. Uh, I write primarily for the Gameological and the uh, Book section, and you can also go to MajorSpoilers. dot com and uh, hear me on the Critical Hit podcast.
0: So just like everywhere, you're just everywhere.
3: Yeah, I'm basically everywhere. That's not even counting all the local Chicago-based publications I write for. So <laughs> that's just a synopsis. But unless you're very interested in Chicago restaurants and bars, that writing won't be as interesting to you.
0: So, so just well, they can hit you, find all that stuff on on Twitter. I'm sure. So. Yeah, exactly. Thanks again so much, Samantha, for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.